Today's episode is brought to you by The Star Draft. Do you feel like you always know the Oscar nominees before they're announced, or wish that you could share just a bit of Meryl Streep's Oscar glory? Well, now you can. Experience awards season like never before. Sign up today to create or join a league at www.thestardraft.com. We share the, the same love, the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You commie, homo-loving sons of guns. It's not about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I am greatly honored and tremendously moved. Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. Sweetheart, you got your money taped to your tits. Technically, you do work for me. I'm Joey Gentile. And I am the captain now. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade, per category. This is the men of 2013. Brandon, how the hell are ya? Doing okay. Uh, looking forward to this uh, this episode here. This is sort of the time when I sort of kind of started following the Oscars. Like, I had watched the Oscars in years past, as we discussed on this show. But I think this was the season where I really started, like, halfway paying attention to what people were talking about. So, um, kind of a little uh, interesting uh, for me. Yeah, yeah. I do remember you saying a little bit about that. Um and I know, like, when we had gotten to 2012 with the women, that was, like, my big exciting year. So now we're to your big exciting year. And, like, we can just, you know, go off of each other on our excitement, which is always fun. I think when there's a real passion in about a certain year, and specifically why with a reason, makes it a lot more interesting of a conversation, I think. Yeah. So, uh, kind of a cool day for us here at AQ. Um and today, October 19th, 2020, uh, we just found out that we were nominated for Cleveland's Best Podcast uh, through Cleveland Scene Magazine, which is pretty fucking cool. So um, if you're in the Cleveland area and you voted for us to uh, become a nominee, thank you so much. Um, thank you, guys. Hope we win. <laughs> yeah, it's us and like five other Cleveland podcasts. Yeah. So we'll see. Pretty I didn't soft. realize we had so many listeners in the city of Cleveland. Hey. Yeah, you know, I mean, when it's right, it's right, you know. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, that was pretty cool. We uh, consecutive back-to-back nominations in a way for the both of us, even though Academy Queens didn't get in last year. Um, you got what it was best writer nomination. Yeah, somehow. Yeah, so that, this was your second year getting nominated, and my second year getting nominated because I got with this, and then my second best. Uh, Cleveland comic nomination and best bartender for a bar that is no longer open. Thank you to COVID-19. So RIP. Um, so yeah, we're both consecutive uh, nominated and you know what? It just, again, when it's right, it's right. Yes. So um, our guest today is super special. I want you to explain why, but I want to get him on here so you can also just give us compliments for our nominations. So take it away. So our uh, special guest today is someone we've been uh, talking about having on for a while. Um, He is a colleague of ours over at In Session Film. Uh, We have really enjoyed talking with him on his show, but now he is on our show. 
So we'll see how the uh, the energy shifts a little bit. Today, our guest is Ryan McQuaid. Hello, Ryan. Hello. It's Hello. so wonderful to be on the show. I've been waiting patiently here in this room for the last couple of weeks until this recording date, and I haven't moved. So I don't know what outside looks like. Um, is it still a pandemic going on and stuff like that out there? Like, is that <laughs> yes. still happening? Yes. Oh, well... You can't always get what you want, I guess. Then, but no, it's 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 wonderful to be on. And yeah, congratulations on on getting that nomination. It's totally probably because of of Brandon, because he's the best part of the show, and not because of Joey at all. But, um, but uh, no, I'm just kidding, Joey. It's 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 great to see great podcasts get the recognition it deserves. And yes, if you are in the Cleveland area, please vote for them. And uh, I want them to win because I want to hear the acceptance speech. Um, whenever that acceptance speech is given, I, I I would pay money to hear that acceptance speech. Uh, Brandon made a Facebook post that pretty much summed it up. You want to tell him what it was? Oh, I, uh, um, I said Academy Queens has been nominated for best podcast. As they say on the red carpet, it's truly an honor just to be nominated, but to also paraphrase Shirley MacLaine's Oscar speech, we deserve this. Thank you. (laughs) Perfect. It's so true. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah, you guys, you guys do a lot of work, and um, it's nice to see when good work gets paid off. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, but enough of us, at least for now. We'll take more compliments as we go along. Keep note, Brandon. If he doesn't get to at least thirteen, cut his feed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why did you pick the men of twenty four or twenty thirteen? Well, I really like this year a lot. I think this is like one of those years where a lot of the nominees themselves are pretty good. Also think the categories of the people that didn't get nominated too are fascinating and deep. Um, It's also like just a good year in general. We don't really disagree a lot as a film Twitter zeitgeist or Oscar coverage people about the winner or the winners a lot. Um, except in, I think, these two categories. I think people have talked about these the most. And so I thought this would be an interesting conversation. And based in sort of the back and forth between talking to at least Joey, uh, I am excited to hear some of these crazy hot takes that might be coming my way tonight. And so that's and so that's kind of the beauty of like picking a, a, a year. It's like you don't want to pick a year where you probably think, we're all going to agree because that just leads to boring year. Um, I think we're going to have some disagreements tonight and uh, yeah, I'm super excited about it. Well, because you mentioned where, you know, we might agree or disagree. Why don't you start us off? Who do you think Brandon? And then who do you think I are going to choose tonight? Oh my God. I know you do this all the time and it's, and it's, I did my homework. I told Joey I did my homework, and I went back and I listened to your sort of actress uh, lineups for for this particular year and your winners for that. And so um, I'm going to go with – I'm going to start with Joey first, if that's okay. Sorry, Brandon. Um, I saved the best for last, obviously. Um, And that counts as a compliment, so uh, count that on the board. Yeah, it it counts. Um, So I think that – Joey is going to keep it with McConaughey, and I think supporting actor, he's going to give it to Jonah Hill. And I think with Brandon, I think Brandon's going to go Chiwetel Ejiofor 
and then he's gonna go. Mm, I think he'll keep it with Leto. Maybe. I don't know. I may be completely off with both of all of those, but I'm gonna go with that. Um, for Joey, I think you're gonna go with both Dallas Buyers Club guys, uh, McConaughey and Leto. Um, Ryan, I have a feeling about DiCaprio. And for some reason, uh, Abdi for Captain Phillips. Not sure why. I'm just, for some reason, zeroing in on that one as I look at the list. All right. Uh, Brandon, I see you being really up for Bruce Dern here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew that June Squibb was very much you as you get older and i made that comment in that episode that i think like that diner scene it could be like you and seth um between dern and squib so i just have a feeling that is very much as you like to say your shit um supporting i'm between two right now i could really really see you going for jonah hill i just think like you would really appreciate and understand that type of comedic work but at the same time I know, like me, you were really touched by the dual performances of Nyong'o and Fassbender here. Mm. I'm going to go Fassbender. Yeah, I'm going to go Dern and Fassbender for you. Okay. And then Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. You are going for both Wolf of Wall Street guys. DiCaprio and Hill. Because that's what you that's what I think of you. Um, what you think of me? Okay. <laughs> that's fine. Okay, boys. Shall we get uh shall we get going? Sure. All right. Your supporting actor nominees of 2013 were Barkhad Captain Phillips, Bradley Cooper, American Hustle, Michael Fassbender, 12 Years a Slave, Jonah Hill, The Wolf of Wall Street, Jared Leto, Dallas Buyers Club. All right, let us start off this year with Bradley Cooper as Richie Damasio in American Hustle. This is his second of eight nominations. Going into Oscar night, he gets Golden Globe, BAFTA, and Critics' Choice nominations for Supporting Actor, but wins at SAG for Best Cast. In American Hustle, again, Bradley plays Richie who is an FBI agent who kind of gets suckered in and plays along with this scheme that's supposed to be going on, that the scheme I don't ever think happens because, like we talked about American Hustle before, there's nothing really there for it to happen. Um, But in this realm of quote-unquote story that is happening, he kind of just tails himself along for the ride and ends up getting duped but duping others. I don't fucking know still. Ryan, you're our guest. Start us off on this train wreck that is American Hustle. Oh, so going back and listening to your actress episode and you guys talking about American Hustle and the sort of disdain that Joey had for Amy Adams primarily. I think he was he was okay if not he thought like Lawrence just was miscast if I'm not mistaken. And but with Adams you just like hated that performance. That was like your five. I remember that. And uh, and Joey, I know you weren't high on it. Or, I'm sorry, Brandon, I know you weren't high on that either. Um, but you weren't as like disdainful for it as as Joey was. And so I was so happy that you guys let me come on this year because I'm going to be on here to say I really like American Hustle. 
I actually like American Hustle more than Silver Linings Playbook. And I think that I love it because of its style. And I think it's also just one of those movies where people people always say this about certain films. And I think it was also like the thing they said about Tenet a lot, which is like they couldn't follow it or they couldn't understand it or they didn't know what was going on in the film. And I'm not saying this about you. I'm just saying this about other people that then that cheapens the film. And like for me, I followed this movie completely 100 percent from the first time I saw it to the point where I watched it again because I I really loved it like a week later in theaters and I have no problem with high concept things and sort of directors going for you know swinging for the fences and I think that's what David O. Russell does here I think he sort of plays it a little bit more safe with Silver Linings Playbook obviously writing off the high of the fighter and then he gets to make something very sort of bold in my opinion and all over the place and I like its messiness I like the fact that it's a con film and you don't know where or who or what is being conned. And that's sort of the whole point of it. But in terms of this performance from Bradley Hooper, who I think is a good actor, he's actually the actor in this film I least like the most. I mean, like, I, I don't particularly, what I mean by that, I don't particularly care for the performance. Like, this is the one of the four where I'm like, eh, I think, they nominated the wrong supporting actor. Like, I think they should have nominated Renner. Like, of, of of the people here, Renner feels more within that film than I remember. And I remember his scenes more with Christian Bale. I just remember Bradley Cooper sort of being miscast. And, and really, all the other actors running circles around him, where he's just playing sort of the straight guy. Um, and then, like, also a lot of his scenes are opposite Louis C.K., which, like, ew, gross. And uh, I just remember that distinctly, like, upon my rewatches as well. Like, I don't want to go and revisit that a lot. So for me, it just, his performance doesn't click in a movie that I overall very much enjoy. I'm also, I'm not the biggest fan of Cooper in American Hustle. I'm not the biggest fan of American Hustle in general, um, Mm -hmm. as a lot of our listeners heard. Uh, I don't hate it. It's just um, the flow of it doesn't really click with me, and I never really care for most of the characters in the movie. Um, Cooper, I think, is just okay in the role. Um, I'm not disappointed that he was nominated, but I'm not exactly thrilled with it. I agree. If you're going to nominate any supporting guy in this film, Jeremy Renner makes more sense. Uh, He stands Mm -hmm. out a little bit more as a supporting player to me. Um, but Cooper seems to really be going for it at times. Uh, for some reason, the image uh, that's burned into my head of Cooper in this film is him with those like curlers, those little tight rollers <laughs> in his hair. Yeah. Um, that's just hilarious. Uh, whoever came up with that idea, whether it was Cooper or if it was in the script or if it was the costume designer, I don't know. Whoever came up with that is just fucking brilliant because that is such a funny gag. It's not even really a gag, but it still gets a smile out of you. Uh, but yeah, Cooper is just okay here. Um, like the movie, uh, you're never really sure exactly what he's thinking or what's going on. It's a con movie, like Ryan said, and even when I think I know what's going on, I can't help but think that I'm being duped. Uh, maybe that's part of the reason why I have a hard time really buying into this movie, but I can see why some people would really uh, jive with that. Um, but yeah, I think Cooper is just okay here. Um, he's 
at the end of the day, not the supporting player that I would nominate from this film. So about a year and a half ago, maybe <laughs> not even that long, maybe about a year ago, I had made a post on Twitter.com that was the American Hustle poster and said, I cannot believe out of everyone cast here, the one person who did the best job in this entire shit pile of a film didn't get the nomination. And if I was Jeremy Renner, I would have sued. And do you know that that is one of our biggest tweets that went, I wouldn't even say viral because it didn't, but probably one of our most responded to tweets, like hundreds of responses that I got so much shit for that one stood by it. But the fact that I'm now hearing from not one person, but two people on the same episode who also agree with this, where the fuck were you, Ryan, when that was? <laughs> God. No, seriously, Renner is the best actor in this bunch from a performance-wise of this movie. I will never understand how Bradley Cooper got in when Renner was right there. Makes no sense to me. Um, I, I honestly think this nomination came from Cooper having a somewhat viral moment with the curlers. I remember that being his big campaign trail. It was kind of like when Jennifer Lawrence went on campaign trail for winter's bone and all anyone could talk about was skinning a squirrel. Yeah, I think this yeah. was his skinning the squirrel moment. Um, so I thought it, I mean, honestly, I think it was maybe like a cutesy funny moment that got him in. If you think back and fine, I believe that's also his Oscar clip. Um, it, no, I don't think that's his Oscar clip. I thought it was like where she's, where Adams is seducing him and he's like, he gets real close and then he like backs off. I thought that was kind of like his clip. If I thought it was on his, the phone. Maybe it was a sad clip that I remember. Just like I, being... I remember them using that one. And I was like, you're using one of the more quieter scenes of the film as an Oscar. clip. Okay, sure. You know, they, they make weird Oscar clips for people. Just, I mean, just in general. So they really do. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I think this may have just been like a, a look at me moment that got him that Oscar nomination. Cause I can't put it, despite my disdain for this movie, I can't place where an Oscar nomination would have come in play here. Um, and I don't really like to use the, use the term coattail nomination. Um, in fact, I really despise it, but I might be keen to use it here, to be honest with you. Um, doesn't really make sense for me again when Renner is right there. So this is a no from me, dog. Yeah, pretty much same. Um, I'm sure, you know, Afterglow uh, plays into it and uh, folks uh, nominating a straight ticket. People who really loved American Hustle are probably going to check that box for Cooper as well. I'm not sure how much of a push there really was for Renner for this or what, but... Um, I suppose the nomination doesn't exactly surprise me from like a, I don't know, like a strategic campaign business sense, but just looking at the movie and who else could have made it, um, it seems a little odd. You just look at it that way. And he is writing off of like Silver Linings the year before, which is a much better performance from Cooper. Um, and he's a very likable guy. And, you know, they had this thing the year before, right? If I'm not mistaken, it was the year before, right? Yeah. And where they nominated the four, you know, actors for that. And it was like the first time in like forever that it happened where 
a film had gotten, you know, four actors in the four major acting categories in there. And I just kind of remember the narrative for the next year when this movie was coming out already. Well, they're all booked. Like, it didn't matter. I think, like, even before, and I liked the film, but even before, I remember reading a lot that year and thinking, how can you just lock in these four people when there are other people in the cast, you know, that are billed? And it was these four that got nominated. Um, I do push back on you, Joey. I, I think his is definitely the worst of the nominees. Um, I know you don't like Amy Adams performance. I really like Amy Adams performance in the, in that film. And I, I, I like Jennifer Lawrence just because of the fact that I think she's just going for it. And we'll talk about Belle later, but um, yeah, Cooper to me is just the, the odd man out here. And um, I mean, funny, funny look with the hair, but other than that, I mean, it, it's just a performance. I sit back and I go, yeah, he did get nominated for that. Oh, what a massive mistake. When it comes to the four actors being locked from the get-go, uh, award season is just full of self-fulfilling prophecies a lot of the time. And I feel like that's one example of it, where we just make these decisions way in advance before we really get a consensus yeah. or before people have even seen the movie, and then somehow well, it just makes it to the finish line. Well, we have, like, pictures of things now. Nowadays, it's like if you want to win Best Actor – release a picture of you as your character a year or eight months before the Oscars. Like I, that's Gary Oldman. That's, that's Joaquin Phoenix. That's, a, that's a, a Rami Malek. That's a ton of people. And it, it just sort of drives me nuts that that happens because then people, it does a good job of like getting it on our radar. Also is like, people just think back to that photo or that first initial thing. And they don't actually remember the performance and think on it. And, actually think if it's the best of the bunch and that's frustrating well i i i solely put that into film twitter as their fault and um, it, it's part of the you know, industry too i mean it's it's i put that on on film twitter because what happens in campaigns is that nothing happens until there is a buzz surrounded until when the, when a film debuts, like a, a studio can't push until then. So when you have these photos and I'm going to use it for an example, just cause it's the most recent thing. It's not anything on a personal bias, but it's what it drives me insane. When you have a photo of literally Glenn close walking to set or walking in between shots, people are like, Oh, Oscar, Oscar, shut up because no one's seen it yet. If she earns it, that's fine. But film Twitter is a lot to blame on this because there were plenty of articles before we even got that Hillbilly Elegy trailer last week where people had Glenn Close in second place. Shut the fuck up. Nobody knows that she's going to be there. Nobody knows that. And that's, again, not just hurts anybody. So it's not so much that the press has something to do with it. I think in the manner of before the film comes out, it's film Twitter. And for some reason, film Twitter has this huge... Um, hand i think in award strategies now so film twitter's plenty to blame for this no i I agree with you but i i I do also push back just a little bit joey because i do know that some people in the industry the the sort of more establishment um places they do get first looks months and months in advance before uh you know even the trailers or stills release and so 
certain prognosticators do put these out there based off of, you know, whether colleagues have seen it, whether they have seen it, whether they've seen, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the film. Um, I know that that's that was sort of the case right now for Soul. Some people overseas have seen it. Um, but even before that, like it's it is already screened for people like Mank is about to scream for people, you know, th- things of that nature. It happens all the time. But I think you getting mad at something like um, Hillbilly Elegy. I mean, it's it's the same in the acting ca- in the best actor category, I think, the last couple of years. So your your arguments there or your just anger for Glenn Close um, is, is is it's it's also pointed in other categories. So it's not just her. It's 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 the whole thing in general. It's not just her. You are correct. Yeah. It was just the category. It was the most recent thing. She's that- the one this year. No, I think. No, I think also, you know, it's it's happened for, you know, sort of uh, we we saw pictures of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, and then now the trailer released today. But but before that, we were just basing everything on on just pictures, you know, what I mean, or posters. We weren't basing it on actually seeing like even clips of it. You know what I mean? Seeing what the vibe of the film is going to be like. I mean, um, No Man Land is another example where all we saw was Franny McDormand in an overcoat with some mountains in the background. You're like, Oh, what a beautiful looking picture. And it's like, yeah, it's a beautiful looking picture. You actually have to see the film. And, uh, and I've seen it. It's great, but, but you know, you can't, that is sort of an argument to, I know Joey. And I think, I don't know if Brandon agrees with you or not on the whole predicting things ahead of time. And I think going back to Cooper, that's for sure a thing that happened here where they just slide at them all in there um, and this movie had like a late December release. I think it was like released opposite the Wolf of Wall Street too, which, so you had both of these movies about greed and excess, um, and sort of stylized films about the past. And, uh, and they both sort of walked right in there. And, uh, and it also tracks well because a Russell, whether you like him or not as a person, he does direct people to Academy friendly performances um, I mean, even something like Joy, you know, a couple of years ago. I mean, like no, no one really liked that film for the most part, uh, and yet Lauren still walked it away with an, an actress nomination. So um, it happens. It's a terrible thing, but at the end of the day, um, you know, Renner should have just been in there. That's, that's that's all we have to get at with this performance. Moving on, we have our second nominee here of Jonah Hill as Donny Azoff in The Wolf of Wall Street. This is his second of two nominations. And guys, get this. He had not a singular precursor from the major awards going into this. I was actually shocked about that because I swear at least he got into Critics' Choice, but nowhere. Um, In The Wolf of Wall Street, again, Jonah plays Donny Azoff, who is the right-hand man to Leo DiCaprio's character. We'll get to in a little bit. Who, just like him, is greedy, loves sex, women, rock and roll, drugs... And in the end is kind of the one to stab him in the back. He is, uh, yeah, looking out for his own will in, in the end. Uh, so, Brandon, let's talk. So I actually really like Jonah Hill in this movie. Um, I had not watched The Wolf of Wall Street since um, its award season run. So um, when I went to go rewatch it for this, I had pretty much forgotten all of what Jonah Hill does. And in the years since, I had always just kind of shrugged off Hill's nomination because I could not specifically recall um, key moments of him. Uh, But watching this again, I'm not sure why I've forgotten so much of what Jonah Hill does in this because I think he's hilarious. 
and he's really great in it. Um, you know, we'll get to uh, Moneyball shortly uh, in a week or two, but um, I think he's solid in The Wolf of Wall Street. I think this casting decision is incredible. Um, I'm not sure why, but while watching it, I got this uh, chaotic Ben Platt vibe from him, <laughs> and I was loving every second of it. Uh, he really makes those uh, dentures work. I believe he has some sort of implants or dentures that he's working with here in this movie, and uh, he totally uses them to his advantage to uh, create this character. Um He's so sneaky and conniving, and I really enjoy watching Jonah Hill flex these muscles uh, that we don't always get to see him um, show off for audiences, uh, while also tapping into the comedy that we know he can do so well. Um, The slow-motion quaalude acid trip um, cracked me the hell up. I watched a lot of this movie, admittedly, on my phone during breaks at work, um, I've been re-watching a lot of things uh, by downloading into my phone and watching them on my breaks at work because it's just easier to find the time that way. Um, and I was cracking up in the break room laughing at Jonah Hill uh, spazzing out in slow motion while tripping. Um, but yeah, I think this is a solid performance and I can't believe I had forgotten so much of it in the years since. Ryan? I love Jonah Hill in this movie. I think he's fantastic. I don't think it's his best performance of his career. I think that that is in Moneyball, um, just because I I love Moneyball. Like, Bennett Miller's Send Me to the Heavens. Um, But this performance is, is like, totally the polar opposite of that one, right? Where you have this... In Moneyball, he's he's very, like, subdued, and he's he's just a, a guy, a statistical guy, right? And in this movie, it's the best performance... Uh, of a of the sort of Seth Rogen-esque comedies that we've seen from him, right? Where it's completely heightened and completely over the top. And you have this guy who is just the way he is introduced and like the, the different colors on his shirt and um, how he just walks up to DiCaprio and it's just this larger than life character who sort of attaches himself to him and yeah, becomes like his best friend, but then is ultimately, yeah, the guy that the sort of stabs himself in the back. I mean, you know, we'll talk about what Jordan does later, but you know, I think Brandon, when you mentioned memorable moments, the moments that I remember the most with Hill in this movie are not just sort of the, the, the quippy one liners with Leo, but it's all the interactions that he has with John Barenthal in the film mm. where John Barenthal, who is an extraordinary actor is playing the ultimate like straight guy. Right. And he is, he is playing a guy where he just does not take any shit from anyone. And Donnie just loves to fuck with him every time he's on screen. And the scene with the money at the meetup is almost like an Abbott and Costello sort of rip back to that great comedy of the past. I mean, he is messing with him so much in that scene and I cannot stop laughing every time I'm watching it. Like it brings a smile to my face. The, the cousin scene uh, at the bar yes. is, Oh my God. One of the craziest sort of things. Like 
he, he, the quaaludes and sort of like getting into the Steve Madden thing, the the party sequence where he's, you know, pull, you know, he's where he sees Margot Robbie and he's masturbating and you're just like, wow, this character is he is going for it. And then, of course, people forget about with Leo scene with the with the, the, the big quaaludes later in the film is also how committed Hill is in the performance back at the house. Right. And how insane he's going. And uh, and their sort of fight for the telephone uh, is extraordinary. It's a wonderful performance. Um, and yeah, man, it's, it's like I wish Jonah Hill would do more stuff like this um, if he's going to do comedy, because like it's it's it doesn't feel like he's playing a version of himself. Right. I think a lot in those Rogan movies and Apatow productions, he's playing sort of like just Jonah Hill in this. He's playing an actual character that's larger than life and he completely transforms into the performance. So I saw this movie, uh, when it came out on Christmas day in a very packed theater where oh, wonderful Christmas movie, by the way, that's, well, that's where I'm getting to on that one. I don't think that people, especially in the older crowd knew what type of movie this was going to be. <laughs> this was one of those movies that literally I'd never seen so many people walk out of. And I actually am not going to lie. I remember really hating this movie when it came out. I just thought it was obnoxious and I don't think I fully grasped it. So when it came out, I didn't have the biggest love for it. However, in years since, I really learned to love this movie. Um, I think this is my favorite Scorsese picture he's ever done. Um, I just think it's wild and ridiculous and the epitome of why straight men are awful and just like just it's 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 really an acting delicious pie that i just want to sink my teeth into um when it comes to hill i think this is a fantastic role for him um i think he is really good in this to the point where i can't quite understand what the precursors were thinking not giving him anything it actually very shocks or it makes me I don't know how much English, Joseph. It actually shocks me that this is one of those performances that only the Oscars seem to recognize, um, which I don't really understand. Um, Hill is giving us drama. He's giving us comedy. He's giving us a, a failing action, but a little bit of action in there. I mean, there there is everything in this type of uh, genre, of every genre, of every just mix of Scorsese and Don Rickles and just like Gordon Gecko all rolled into one. And it's just what Hill does here is just brilliant. Um, I remember too, and I can't remember where it came from, but I, I remember reading something. I think it was from gold Derby or someone had reported that someone from gold Derby got stopped or by Jonah Hill in New York the night before the Oscar nominations came out and was like, why am I not in your rankings for possible predictions? And I can't remember who it was. So if someone can remember where that came from and who he had stopped in New York city, please add us. I'd love to be reminded. Um, but yeah, I think this is great. Um, yeah. The, everything from smoke and crack to the masturbating scene to the, the fucking your cousin scene. I mean, everything is great. Everything is great. Um, you know, I just, I love this one a lot. 
If anyone's going to fuck my cousin, it's going to be me, out of respect. <laughs> I also really like the... I was just reminded of um, the scene between him and DiCaprio uh, when Jordan is getting clean and he's drinking the non-alcoholic beer. And Donnie's like, so if you drink enough of them, you get fucked up, right? You just have to drink a lot. <laughs> and Jordan's like, no, it, it has no alcohol in it. I don't, and then Donnie's like, I'm not a scientist. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> His delivery in those scenes is so freaking funny. How sincere he is. Like, he truly believes if you drink enough O'Doul's, you will still get fucked up. You just have to do a lot of it. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a really fun performance. Uh, I think Hill finds a lot of really fun moments to tap into. Oh, yeah. And then, like, the scene where they're talking. I, I, this is one of my favorite scenes of the film, where they're talking about the opening of, shot of the film, where they throw the, the, the little person up against the target, and they're going through, like... So if we threw him here, can like what can and can't we do with him? Like what is the what is the limits there? Like his delivery of that feels like you said, Brandon, so sincere. Like he wants to know how far he can go to, to fuck this person over, and it's so despicable, and, and yet it's so funny. Like you're just sitting there and you're just going like, is he really asking how far like you can mess with this human being? And it, it that's great, and then like. The scene with Rob Reiner where Rob Reiner like walks into the office with like the, the, the large bill yeah, and the sizes. Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a lot of potato salad, you know, and stuff like that. Like <laughs> just I'm telling you, the best parts of this film is just him just giving people an absolute headache because that's what a character like this is supposed to do. And he just thrives in it. it it's 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 one of those comedic performances that, you know, Joe, you mentioned. I mean, it was a, a real late film to get into the ball game like it did not scream for sag in time so that's why it missed there um and i in for globes i mean that kind of just felt like um sort of a leo in the film sort of bust kind of thing like push push a lot of that but it was really a, a lot of like leo pushing him and then i always say that this is a big factor around nomination time uh or in the nomination period and then of course when people are voting um is Saturday Night Live. Something like that, where I remember on Saturday Night Live, on Jonah Hill that year, he had Leo literally come out and they reenacted the Titanic scene. And people think I'm nuts. People think, you know, because they don't think Saturday Night Live is funny anymore, that it's not relevant. Like, Adam Driver does that. You know what I mean? And, you know, I remember... I remember the year... I think it's the next year you guys are going to talk about with the actors in 2012 where it was everybody had won that category already. And Christoph Waltz for Django Unchained, he went up there and he hosted for a week. And that put him over the top, I think, because it's not like you saw Tommy Lee Jones doing Saturday Night Live. It's not like you saw, you know, the other nominees that year there or Bob De Niro. Um, you know, th I think that that helps them in sort of this category um, and it's it's good because then a great performance like this gets recognized and people don't forget about it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Definitely for sure. Um, I would also like to point out really quick before we move on that you mentioned I wish you would come back and do more stuff like this. I think Jonah Hill in general is really just underappreciated. Um, yeah, a lot of the media plays into because he's a bigger guy, like his weight fluctuating and going up and down. 
Um, so I don't, you know, if you look back to a lot of his interviews, it's kind of sad really, because he is so talented. Um, and anyone, anyone, all, let's try this again. All anyone ever wants to talk about is his weight. And I think that really hurts him despite him having two Oscar nominations. I just don't think he, you know, people still take him seriously and it's kind of sad. So grow the fuck up. So. Okay, awkward silence. Thanks, guys, for coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that it's it's a shame that that people. I mean, I feel like they do that with like Melissa McCarthy too. Like, and and they do it with a ton of actors of you know that they're actors at the end of the day. Like Melissa McCarthy can do Spy and Bridesmaids, and then she can do Can You Ever Forgive Me? Like they can you know I actually think com- comedic actors in a lot of ways give the best performances. That's why people couldn't shut up last year about Sandler because of the fact that like he 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 can do a genre that not a lot of dramatic actors can do. Right. Like he can do comedy and make people laugh. You can make people laugh. I think you can totally make them cry, make them suspenseful and everything. So that's why, you know, Jonah Hill is a good actor. And I didn't see mid 90s. Is that, is that the film he directed a couple of years ago? Yeah. Um, I didn't see that film, but um, I heard I heard mostly good things. I know people kind of dogged on it at first, um, and then and and then it got around to a lot of other people, and then they saw it, and then they ended up liking it. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it or not, um, but um, but but I'm I'm curious to see if he starts maybe creating roles for himself or maybe do more directing because um, you know if if Hollywood's gonna kind of fuck you over, you gotta you gotta make your own thing. You know what I mean? And his sister's like a big play right now uh, with Beanie. So I mean, you know, we don't want to have Jonah be forgotten because he's a really talented talented human being. Agreed. Agreed. All right, moving on to Michael Fassbender's Edwin Epps in Twelve Years a Slave. This is his first of two nominations. Going into Oscar night, nominations from Golden Globe, BAFTA Critics' Choice, Spirit Award, National Society of Film Critics, and SAG gets them for two for supporting actor and cast. Um, in 12 Years a Slave, again, Michael plays Edwin Epps, also known as Master Epps, who is a horrible goddamn human being, who is a slave owner, slave trader, really tries to manipulate and live by scripture that he is taking way too seriously um and is not a good person rapes murders beats his slaves um ryan start us off on this one oh wow (laughs) go from that sentence to then my name great sure thanks um (laughs) this is an extraordinary performance for michael fassbender um it's like the performance we never get from him anymore um like i i like to do this podcast and and talk about this year because this is like one of the last great michael fassbender performances that we ever got um you know and him working with steve mcqueen just sign me up like anytime they're together i mean he's he's wonderful in shame but he's so good in this and he's you talk about like this this man um uh edwin epps um, the master of this plantation, who really isn't even the master of the plantation. It's actually Sarah Paulson's character who plays his wife, um, at least from my recollection, um, because he is this guy that preaches his his Bible and he is thumping it throughout the entire film, and yet he is a complete contradiction of everything he is saying 
and everything he's doing um, because he's having sexual relations with Patsy and he is, you know, having, you know, and he is, he, he, he lusts for her and, and, in a lot of ways more than he does his own wife. And, um, he treats certain people differently than others. Um, and it's a brutal performance. Don't get me wrong. Like it is a, it's a villain with a capital V. I mean, there is no sympathy really for this character. Um, and I just think of, I think of him chasing Chiwetel Ejiofor around. I think of the brutality that he does throughout, how menacing he is, the way he is introduced reading that Bible, and how it's just the camera is planted on his face. And the film at this point really doesn't have a full-on villain yet. The, the sort of slavery is the villain, right? And 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 the brutality of what happens to Solomon. And, you know, he has Benedict Cumberbatch's character sort of be this, um, this a little bit more of a, a nice guardian to him uh, at times. And and then, of course, that's uprooted by a, a misunderstanding and sort of a, a tragic event that then leads him to be at Edwin Epps' house. And, and uh, boy, does the movie just go extremely brutal from there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Fassbender's best performance since, obviously, Shame in 2011, um, and he hasn't come anywhere close for me since in terms of just the sheer volume of off-actor and watching it. So, yeah, I absolutely love the performance um, because it, it, it does the job in creating this horrible human being. Yeah, I agree that this is a great performance uh, from Fassbender. This is um, a role that he plays with his entire body. Um, this character has a very um, threatening physical presence. Uh, Fassbender himself is a very tall, uh, large individual. So um, I think he used that to his advantage in this movie. Um, he really plays into that presence that he takes up in any space that he's occupying and uh, radiates evil uh from basically every square inch of himself and um he's really scary uh throughout this movie he does really horrible things to um many of his slaves including patsy who he repeatedly rapes um and yeah like you were saying even though he has this terrifying aura about him I agree that uh, his wife, the Sarah Paulson character, has the real control over this plantation, over this estate. And um, I wonder how aware of that the Fassbender character is. And I'm not sympathizing with him, but I wonder if that um, causes some insecurity within him that forces him or compels him to lash out even more um, so as to really get the point across that he is the head asshole um, at this plantation. Um, so he goes to some extremes um, with the way he brutalizes his slaves and really takes excessive ownership over Patsy um, using rape and sex to do that. But um, 
Yeah, this is a very commanding performance uh, from Michael Fassbender that's really hard to ignore. As someone who has said before, I think the best performance of this last decade that never got the recognition it fully deserved was Fassbender and Shame. Um, to see him team up again with McQueen for this, which is such a 180 in many, well, in every aspect, is breathtaking and fresh and makes me almost want to shower for liking it so much because it is the purest yeah it's the purest definition of evil i mean this is one of those characters and michael fassbender does such a good job of you hating him and i've said it before i think if an actor if an actor plays a role and you hate them at the end of it and you're supposed to, they've done the best goddamn job they could have done. Um, but watching this, like I said, this is one of those roles that you watch and you you really just want to figure out how this person became who they are. How did this person get so hateful? Because we see this not to this extent, but we see this today for many people with being horribly racist or just being awful in general like how who taught them this to hate this much we're not born that way we're taught that and so it's it's like a it really makes me kind of like want to get into psychology to learn how the how the brain works like that and i think if fassbender can make me feel and think all of the things like that, then he did a really good goddamn job. You know, there, there isn't a moment that you need to be sympathetic to this character, but I do think that this is one of those things where you need to be able to watch this role and kind of think like, I kind of feel sad for him because he's that awful. Um, it's brilliant. On um, side note, fun fact, um, <laughs> Sally Kirkland is fun to follow on Facebook. And I remember I started following her around this time that this movie came out and she's a huge Fassbender addict. And someone had said, or she had said she had voted for Fassbender. And someone said, are you sure that he, or is, are you sure he's, you know, going to win? And she said, if he doesn't win, my name isn't Sally Kirkland. And I just want to say it probably still is. Um, but yeah, she was <laughs> predicting that one. Um, but no, she's a fan and I'm a fan and it sounds like you guys are fans. So, you know what? I'm in. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you, Joey. I mean, like, you you talk about like it's such a good performance to the point where I think that's what might have hurt him winning the Oscars is that you can't really like say out loud that oh my god he's so good because then if you're saying he's so good and you're like going extremely crazy for it then that means that <laughs> it almost was it was almost like the opposite of like what people were saying were like at the time when 12 years of slave came out, they're like, well, if you don't vote for it, then you're a racist. Right. It almost is just like the opposite of that, where it's like, oh, if you like the support, this, this role so much, you're a racist. You know what I mean? And it, it, it felt like that because we couldn't really talk about how great he was and how terrifying he is as a villain. When so many villains have won you know, especially in supporting actor categories, it's like uh, 
villain is a, is a good role for supporting actor wins, um, but or just actor wins in general. Um, but like, yeah, this one for me, it felt like for some reason the narrative grabbed it to the point where he couldn't get over the threshold to actually win this. And it was really shocking because, you know, besides Lupita, I thought another one would go to the film in terms of acting and it didn't and it never caught on. And I was really shocked that because of the fact that I thought Fassbender was the closest thing that they were going to get to another one. And, you know, it was also sort of making up for shame and him not getting nominated. And he's extraordinary in that film. Um, McQueen gets the best performances out of him. And yeah, I mean, can they, they need to work together like ASAP. I know he's doing, I know McQueen's doing small acts and, and Fassbender's doing whatever the hell he is doing right now, but it's like, they need to work together again because they make great cinema. Also a uh, pre shame, highly recommend checking out hunger. Oh, yeah. um, the Steve McQueen uh, film starring Fassbender. Yeah. He's got that, that like that 30 minute sequence in the middle with Liam Cunningham. Where it's just yeah. him and the priest. Oh, so good. It's been a while since I've also seen that one. But yes, I would third that. Go see that movie too. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to Barkha Dabdi as Muse in Captain Phillips. This is his sole nomination thus far. Um, going into Oscar night, Golden Globe nominations, Critics' Choice, National Society Film Critics, and SAG for supporting. But he wins at BAFTA for supporting actor. In Captain Phillips, again, Barkha plays Muse, who is... Um, the head lead pirate of these Somalian men who take over this ship um, and take it over for ransom and cause havoc and destruction and hella PTSD as we see near the end. Um, Brandon, what do you think of Barkha Dabdi in Captain Phillips? So I really like in this movie. Um, you know, he had the whole story of being a non-actor um, picked to be in this film. I believe he was like a limo driver or a taxi mm-hmm. driver yeah. prior to this. And there was a big casting call. And I think it was Minneapolis because Minneapolis of all the major U S cities has the most Somali immigrants. Um, I think was the whole story behind all this. And, you know, he was chosen and um, I think he's fantastic. He has a really great presence in this movie as well. Um, a little bit more haphazard and chaotic than uh, Fassbender's villainous presence. A lot of that has to do with the character is not very firm within his own station. He seems to not be very respected by a lot of the people that he's supposed to be leading on this mission to take over this um, ship. And um, he always seems to be struggling a little bit within the hierarchy of his uh, pirate organization. But uh, he gives off a very fierce energy in this movie and um it's easy to see why what he does would lead the tom hanks character to have that severe psychological breakdown at the end of the movie uh because there is a real unpredictability to this character um a lot of that having to do with his own insecurities um within this group um, that he is uh, supposed to be in charge of. But uh, I think this is a really great um, lightning in a bottle type of performance. Um, I'm not sure what Abdi is out there doing right now or what he's trying to do. I'm not sure if he wants to continue uh, with the whole actor thing, but um, 
if he did, I think that'd be really cool um, because I think he gives quite a memorable performance in Captain Phillips. Ryan. Oh, man. Um, so I think Captain Phillips is a fine film. I think that Paul Greengrass, his films either really age well for me or they don't. And I, at times when I've gone back and just seen bits and pieces of Captain Phillips, I just remember my experience in the theater being, that's it? Like, this this is the big film everyone's been talking about with Tom Hanks and 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 everything like this is this is what we're all supposed to love and as I've gone on and watched more of it I still have that feeling but that doesn't shake the fact that majority of this film is basically just Hanks and and Abdi it's almost like a like a it's almost because like, they're just in that in that in that that chamber for like most of the back half of the film right. And it almost feels like a castaway sequel at times. Like it's just two people on the water, you know, waiting for the other one to, you know, I guess, you know, get shot or whatnot. Um, but Brandon does bring up that sort of unpredictability. I think that that's also something I like about Fassbender's performance that I didn't mention earlier. But um, it definitely works for Opti here because we've we have we have no idea what this character or this actor is like on screen. This is like a really big debut. And so we have no idea what he's going to do to Mr. Rogers. I mean, Tom Hanks um, in this film. And so, you know, I, I think that throughout it, I just was always thinking, what's the next thing he's going to do? What is the next thing he's going to do rather than just like taking in the performance as a whole and I think also, too, like Tom Hanks' performance in the film is fine. I think people get all, all upset because he didn't get nominated. There's a ton of other people that year that deserve to be nominated over Tom Hanks. So we can all just calm down. The man also has two Oscars. And yet, like the last scene of the film is very good where it's just it's just him you know, kind of crying and palpitating and everything from the sheer shock of it. That's extraordinary acting. I don't care what anyone ever says. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's probably, it might even be like the best moment Tom Hanks has ever acted within like a scene, not a totality of a performance, but a scene. But the rest of the film, there just feels like something's missing. And I feel like maybe it's the style in which Greengrass creates the the whole atmosphere and, and does it. But it does, I think, take away a little bit of Abdi's performance, even though I do think that there is that unpredictability. So, yeah, o overall, I'm I'm kind of mixed on it. I'm not, like, the biggest fan of it. So when I think of Captain Phillips, I think, first and foremost, the breakdown scene of Tom Hanks uh, after he's rescued and mm -hmm. the paramedics are taking care of him. I think, like Fassbender and Shame, it is one of the most brilliant acted performances of the decade that didn't get its recognition. And that four-minute scene alone is more memorable than anything else in Captain Phillips, and that includes mm -hmm. Barkhad Abdi. Mm -hmm. um, I don't quite understand this one. Um, I think the I am the captain now thing is cute, but it, I don't understand why people went crazy for it. Um, you know, there, there was a, a, a whole separate joke about being a wine sommelier. 
the Oscars that year, and it was just like, really, like we're still doing this. Uh, I don't that's get such, that's such a bad joke. That's so stupid. That is that's so really stupid. Is. I'm not laughing because it's a good joke, folks. I'm laughing because that's oh, that's what you get when you get Ellen DeGeneres to host the Oscars. But anyway, sorry, Joey. Ellen, Didn't mean to cut Ellen you. hosting the Oscars was the last time I thought the Oscar host was actually good. So you can shut your whore mouth right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was the last time we had a good Oscar host. Um, anyway. I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean. Uh, uh, I, I don't mind I don't mind Kimmel folks. I don't mind Kimmel. So Oh my. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so like I, I you know, I just I don't get it. Um I mean, I'm glad because, you know, how many how many actors who get plucked out of, you know, obscurity can make it, you know, on their first time like this. Um and I'm happy to see that Cinderella story essentially happen, but I think this is also you know, kind of sad because just because you get to a level like this doesn't mean Hollywood has something for you. And, you know, Brandon mentioned she doesn't know where he is to this day. I don't either. I mean, the last time I saw him, I think was Castle Rock season two, and he really didn't have anything to do there. I mean, it's, it's just kind of sad. And, and, you know, it, um, winning the BAFTA don't get it. Glad he's got it. I don't get it. Um, but you know, the, I am the captain now is very much a pop culture zeitgeist moment and good for him, but this, this one doesn't work for me. Yeah. I think I'm just really happy for him Yeah, <laughs> that, that this happened. Yeah. I think that's the b- biggest thing. It just, I'm happy for the dude. I'm happy that it happened. I agree with you on that one. So yeah, I'm not yeah. disagreeing there. Um, let's see. I think we had a question on Barkhad. Nope, have to wait until we get to lead. All right, moving on to our final nominee in this year's winner, Jared Leto as Rayon in Dallas Buyers Club. This is his sole nomination thus far. He wins pretty much everything. Uh, Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, Spirit, and the L.A. Film Critics Association, but there he tied with James Franco for Spring Breakers. He also wins at SAG, but he has two nominations, one from National Society of Film Critics, and then a second at SAG for Cast. In Dallas Buyers Club, again, Jared plays Rayon, a trans woman, who is suffering from HIV, uh, or I'm sorry, at the time we meet her, she has full-blown AIDS, um, who befriends Matthew McConaughey's character, who isn't exactly keen to the whole idea of gay, as he says it, um, to put it nicely in the beginning, Um, but becomes partners with him and becomes a friend that he never knew that Matthew McConaughey's character needed. So uh, you started off the category. Let's end it with you. Ryan, what do you think of Jared Leto as a Rayon in Dallas Buyers Club? Oh, I do not like this performance. This is one of probably the most overrated Oscar wins of the decade for me. I thought it was a fine performance when I first saw it. And I much connected more with McConaughey, though not that much more. And I'll talk about that later. Um, I just never saw the hype of the story of the film of all that. I just never, I never, I never saw the hype of it because of the fact that this is one of those instances when I figured out, the true story and the truth behind all of it 
it ruined everything for me. And I walked into this film and I'm like, none of that's real. None of those people are real. So it's just a amalgamation. Uh, it's, it's, it's not even a story where Ron Woodruff even met a person like this. If he did meet a person like this, because of the fact that Ron Woodruff was like a pretty terrible person from what a lot of accounts can attest to. And it's sort of, this is what I hate about the Oscars. Sometimes they take a good story or maybe good story about good issues and they manipulate it to the point where they make up characters that aren't even real, but then they want to slap on the tag of this is all based on a true story. And, you know, and then they want to, they want to do all this audience manipulation. And I, I, I stand back and I hate it. Like the, the, another prime example of this is the, the, the film, uh, the Butler from Lee Daniels, where the son in that film is completely manipulated as well and and made up a lot of the the things you see in that film are 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 made up by the writers and sometimes it works for me and and I can and I can just sort of throw it away and throw it to the side but for me personally in this film and in stuff like that when you try to do the based on the true story I don't care if you if you have the real person and then you you sort of change certain aspects because they want them to or not when you completely make up these characters and and it just and then you want to use that that sort of slapping message on there it just doesn't work for me and then the performance itself it, it's very over the top uh it's it's subtlety is is not miss is is missing for me a lot and then to go beyond that his career ever since uh is is just been horrible and it, it just has not aged well at all and there are performances in this category that I just prefer more, way more. And um, yeah, so sorry for all the fans out there that really like Jared Leto in this film, but I just I do not like it at all. Well, you're not exactly alone in that boat because uh, this is probably the movie that has aged the worst for me since its Oscar season. When I revisited this film, it had been since um, it was out. And when it came out, when I saw it the first time, I thought it was pretty solid. Um, I thought that was a solid movie, solid performances. I was fine with it. Watching it again, um, what, seven-ish years later, I found myself just kind of going, hmm, huh, okay, Mm -hmm. and rolling my eyes a lot. Um, I think this movie's ire is a little bit misguided. Um, Mm -hmm. The arguments that it's trying to make about the FDA, I think, should be directed at the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, That's just one thing. But um, I don't think Leto's performance is all that great. Um, Watching it now, years later, it seems very surface level. It seems very artificial and manufactured. Like when his character first comes on, now, of course, this is a rewatch, and I know where the movie is going, but when Rayon is first introduced, you pretty much know right away where this character is going. Like, you know there is bad news coming, and it's going to end tragically, and you're going to be manipulated for your tears. And when it eventually gets there, 
I, I find that I don't really feel anything because it was all so engineered. And I don't know that Leto is really crafting a fully realized character that I should mm-hmm. care about. Besides just being told on paper that this is a tragic transgender woman in the in the days of rampant untreated AIDS. Yeah. And, you know, on paper that has everything going for it. But I don't know that it's executed in the most successful way possible. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the writing and directing of the film. And I don't know that Jared Leto is fully equipped to bring this character to life in the way that um, he needed to as a performer. And um, uh, I just, as a whole, don't really buy it. And um, I think the movie now, looking back on it from the lens of today, is misguided in several ways. So I really like Dallas Buyers Club. I think Jean-Marc Vallée went three for three with Dallas Buyers, Wild, and then the first season of Big Little Lies. Um, I, with my liking it, I also can understand why people don't like it. Um, I, I, I get it. But for me, I, I like the film. Um, I liked it on my revisit a couple months ago, getting ready to come back to this. I liked it when it came out. And I remember leaving the theater um, on that blustery winter day when this movie was released and walking out of that movie going, Jared Leto is going to win the Oscar this year. There was no doubt in my mind. Um, and this. Oh, really? I, oh, yeah. There was it was one of those moments. And I had said this, too, when we talked about Lupita Nyong'o. I, I remember leaving the theater for that and saying the same thing. So I was very happy that my predictions that year had come true. Because yeah. I, I, when I walked out of 12 Years a Slave, I agree with you, Joey. I, I was like, I think it's Lupita. But then I was also sitting there. I was like, I think it's going to be Fassbender. And then the whole Leto train started. And I was like, wow, I didn't see this coming at all. Like, this is, I mean, like, I saw it coming, you know, because I saw the film and everything. But then I was like, I based off of everything I like my gut just was completely wrong on that one. So I'm glad that you got that right. At least. Yeah. It was just one of those things where I left the movie torn and I left, I cried when, you know, Rayon dies because I just, I found this character to be so beautifully done um, acting wise. And it really struck me when I first saw it. And so you know, there was that moment in in the movie where Rayon, she starts coughing and she's, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I and I couldn't remember the last time there was because I don't even think Tom Hanks did it in Philadelphia. I don't think we had that moment with him. I'm you trying to think. What? I thought I'm, that we had like a moment where his family says goodbye to him at the no, end. No, no. Hold on. Hold on where there's a character who knows they're about to die from a disease or a virus who physically essentially say, I don't want to die. I, and I, and I can't offhand think of a film right now like that. So I remember seeing that and just being really touched by Leto and I, and you know, it's, I, I don't know if this, 
it, it might have been the it really might have been the first time too where and I, again probably not the greatest example but that's I still learn every day that I I fully remember seeing a trans character be a major part of a film mm. and that was from this and it made me more aware of the T on LGBT because I was very ignorant at that time to exactly what the T stood for. I knew what transgender was, but I, but I don't remember fully seeing it as a, not it, but fully seeing the T. So that's why I mean by it in LGBT on film. Um, so I remember it was an awakening moment for me. It was, oh my God, Jared Leto did an amazing fucking job. And you know what? I get that people give this one shit for many reasons. Um, I don't think it's fair. I think it's a very well done film and I'm very happy he has an Oscar for this one. So um, I'm a fan of this one big time. Um, I mean, I'm not sure uh, what else to say that I haven't uh, said already. I just wish I liked this one a little bit more. I wish it um, if I I wish I liked it either the same or better than I did in 2013. Uh, for some reason, this is the one that has aged the poorest for mm-hmm. me, and uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, Joey, I I agree with you. I mean, it's it is really nice to and and really just very wonderful to see sort of a, a very confident transgender performance. I know it gets knocked a lot because. Um, you know, it's it's not a transgender person playing it. it you know, it's it's Jared Leto playing the performance. Um, you know, and I and I get that, but also I think the representation still matters on the screen, and the story does matter. The problem is, is that the character is not a real person. You know, it is it's it's sort of it it sort of makes you know the it's it's a what is the word? It is a representation of the community at the time put in this one performance that's a lot to shoulder and a lot to bear that i just don't think leto is up to the task of doing and and that's that's partially his performance i do agree with brandon it 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 does have a lot to do with the script i think valet's direction is 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 pretty good but i do think that like wild is is better directed and and big little lies and he did sharp, sharp objects too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Correct, right? Yeah, which I, I liked. I know, I know not not a lot of people do. It seems, uh, but I, I really like that um, miniseries as well, and I like the way he he shoots things. But um, you know, I just I I can't get past the sort of manipulation, and I think I would have connected it to it more if this was a real person because Ron Woodruff is a real person and I'm not connecting to that person. Um, I mean, there's a lot of problems with it. Um, and I think McConaughey does a, a job of doing, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute, but overall it, it, this is a problem that I have where you put the shoulders of an entire social, political, sexual, racial issue on one character. And you say, go act. And it either works for some and it works for others. And for me, it just it just doesn't work. And luckily, we've had so much more representation over the years of not just just transgender characters, but actually transgender people playing those characters that maybe it's it's one of those where the this was another performance where it sort of helped guide the way for for studios to say, well, if 
Leto's okay playing this and, we, and we're giving this an Oscar, then we can start greenlighting a lot of this more. I think more of it like, like just showrunners having the power and saying that they want to hire great people to play these great parts is another reason for it. Um, but for me, it just, there, there is something missing. Understood. Understood. Um, we have a quick question about the supporting lineup as a whole here from Nick Cipriano. Would you include Daniel Brühl in the supporting lineup for Rush? I know many were expecting him to show up as he was nominated at every precursor leading up to the Oscars. Boys? Um, Rush is a movie that I haven't rewatched since its um, award season run, but I really like Daniel Brühl just in general. Um, and I remember him being pretty good in Rush. Um, maybe I'd have a different opinion if I rewatched it, but from what I recall, he was pretty good. And I remember him being sort of in the conversation. So um, I think I would have been okay with it. Yeah. Rewatching um, Rush, cause it's been on like HBO max, like a, like a ton and on HBO um, at, here in my house. Um, and I watched it a couple months ago, weeks ago. I don't know. Quarantine just flies by at how much you've been at home. Um, I, I've rewatched it and, and I, I still really like that performance. I wouldn't have nominated it personally myself, um, but uh, I think it's it's still a very good performance. And um, uh, yeah, I would have I would have thrown it in here over maybe one or two of these performances in there for sure if I had my way. Rush is a brand of poppers, not a movie that I've seen, so I don't fucking know. <laughs> It's a sports movie, so Joey, you're not gonna want to watch it. Um, for the record, you're not sport. For the record, Ford v Ferrari was my runner-up in Best Picture last year. So well, you might, well, you might like it. It is another racing film, so mm-hmm. you might like it. Mm-hmm. You might, it's got Chris Hemsworth and it's got That's... Daniel Bruhl and Olivia Wilde, and um, you know, it's it's and from your boy, uh, Ron Howard, you know, Hillbilly Elegy coming to the theater, theaters and Netflix later this year. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, take us away. All right. So um, your leading actor nominees in 2013 were... Christian Bale, American Hustle. Bruce Dern, Nebraska. Leonardo DiCaprio, The Wolf of Wall Street. Chiwetel Ejiofor, 12 Years a Slave. Matthew McConaughey, Dallas Buyers Club. All right, let's start with our winner for the year, Matthew McConaughey, winning for Dallas Buyers Club. So far, this is his first and only win and nomination. Going into this, he has wins with the Golden Globes, SAG, Critics' Choice, the Spirit Awards, and Gotham. And he racks up a few nominations with some regional critics. In Dallas Buyers Club, Matthew McConaughey plays Ron Woodruff a homophobic electrician who contracts HIV, then helps patients seek medicine that could help them as his own health begins to turn for the worse. So Ryan, how do you feel about Matthew McConaughey and Dallas Buyers Club? All right, all right, all right. Okay, so you asked the Texan first about Matthew McConaughey, huh? You asked the Texas Longhorn fan about Matthew McConaughey. All right. So this is in the middle or towards the right towards the end of the reconnaissance, right? Because, I mean, the reconnaissance might be some of the best run an, an actor has ever had in their entire career. What Matthew McConaughey did in terms of saying to his agent, hey, I want to actually make good movies um, is astonishing. I mean, 
like Lincoln Lawyer, Killer Joe, Bernie, Magic Mike, um, Mud, Mud, oh Mud, yes, the Paperboy, yeah, the Paperboy. Then you have, you know, movies after this. You have Interstellar. You have uh, True Detective season one. You know, he is he is on a run now, where he is now, as of today, probably one of the most credible, celebrated actors that we have. And so, of course, this was like, you know, people were sort of saying, oh, is he, could he get nominated in supporting actor for Magic Mike the year before? You know, da, 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 maybe Bernie. I don't know. It was never going to happen. He needed a, sort of like a he he is a leading man. He feels like a leading man. He needed like a leading man part. And this is another one of those. They saw the picture of him very skinny, leaning up against the car with the cowboy hat on. And we're like, oh, my God, is that Matthew McConaughey? Like, really? That's Matthew McConaughey? And he sort of I I knew the minute I saw that picture, I was like, oh, he's part of the McConaissance. This whole thing's building up to it. He's got all the momentum. The dude's winning every award, even if the movie's like crap. The guy is winning everything. And it ultimately, like in terms of just the performance, I think it's a good performance. It's not my favorite performance from McConaughey nor from the McConaissance. Um, I think that it's 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 very much. It's not really even Ron Woodruff. It's like it's more like Wooderson from Dazed and Confused playing a guy that got HIV, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what the shtick is with this one. And um, you just buy, I think, the performance, even though he's playing a character of a real life person that's not a very good person. You buy, I think, more of it because of the fact that it is McConaughey, and he's on this high, and he's such a charismatic lead. It's not ultimately my you know one of the best wins i think um because of who he's up against but uh it did give us that gnarly acceptance speech which is just where he's talking about the past present and future it's like almost like the christopher nolan of of acceptance speeches and and then he and then of course the next year he works with christopher nolan so it makes total sense but yeah man it's it's an okay performance, but it makes sense due to the trajectory of the career. So I can't get too mad at it, but then I can't really praise it much because I don't remember a lot from it. I'm a little bit middle of the road on this one. Um, this this performance on its own did not um, age quite as poorly for me. Um, I think it's still solid, um, but uh, I'm not in love with it. Uh, McConaughey does bring a lot of energy and charisma to this pretty despicable person um, who I'd say we don't exactly like him um, for the bulk of the film, but he has this sort of, he has a very uh, constructed arc um, starting out as this super ignorant uh, prejudice uh, person and then um, carving him uh, like a freight train and having to learn what um, other people go through and uh, decides to help other people, uh, of course, while also helping himself, but he's able to um, help make other people's lives a little bit easier in the process. So we don't exactly like him as a person, but we see some uh, some good deeds uh, that he's doing along the way. And 
Matthew McConaughey uh, brings a lot of star power, I think, to this performance. It's not exactly a role where I'd say he gets lost in it or you forget that you're watching Matthew McConaughey. But um, he's definitely uh, creating a character that he's lending a lot of his own unique charms to, which I think helps when you're playing someone as um, awful as Woodruff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty solid. Uh, Joey, how do you feel? Um, like Leto here, I really like this one, too. Um, I think, you know, that as it was coined, the, the McConaissance or whatever, um, I'm kind of upset you didn't uh, note the masterpiece that was Serenity in that, Ryan. Well, it, Serenity, no. la, Serenity yeah. last year or the year before, that's we're sort of kind of we're not a part of the reconnaissance anymore. Like he's, uh, I feel like, I feel yeah. like it's, I feel like it's kind of died down a bit in terms of reconnaissance, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that was a joke. Um, <laughs> so anyway. I'm just, I'm just saying, well, I mean, wasn't the point of a joke, Joey, is for it to be funny. The point of funny. a joke is for you to get it, but uh, we, can, we can't all get that. That's fine. That's okay. um, so anyway, so, no, I really appreciate McConaughey here. I think he's doing a great job. I think it's um, – I almost said funny because you said funny right there. Jesus. Um, I think it's it's heartbreaking where it needs to be heartbreaking. I think it it tugs at your heartstrings to see this horrible, horrible person kind of get a, a, a realization and reckoning of this story and this character of um, – go from absolutely horrible person to he had to learn a lesson and now it's got to be the fucking hard way. You know, there is a moment in this where you think, am I, do I care about this character? Cause he's so just gross. And then I think he pulls it off to where it, yeah, you kind of do in the end. Um, because in the story, he does have a change of heart. And I think this character could have just been very unlikable all the way around. And I think McConaughey was able to, um, to do something here with that to make sure it wasn't that way. Um, kudos to him. I, like I said, I like Dallas Buyers Club. I think it's a it's a great movie. So um, I like the performances in it. I like him. I'm here for it. I'm glad that he has this win. Yeah, I'm glad he has a win um, because I mean, like he was putting in some amazing work. I just, I personally wouldn't have given it for this movie um i actually think his performance in something like interstellar is 10 times better than this movie and he's he is such an emotional wreck through that and also i also love him and i love him in magic mike like he is the reason i saw that movie like two three times like that that's i mean the movie's great in general but he, he was i think what was missing a little bit for me in the sequel but yeah, no, it, it, I'm glad he has a win. I just personally don't think I would have given it for this. Yeah, nice steering wheel acting that he's doing here in Dallas Buyers Club. Really yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't, can't fault the guy for looking good behind the wheel of a car, though. I mean, that's how we were first really introduced to him, right? In, in, in Days and Confused, behind the, the, that car, going, all right, all right, all right. So, you know. Um, I mean, guys, I mean, I, I kind of, I know I talked about it a little bit and how it's a crazy speech, but I mean, that, that speech that he gave at the Oscars, I mean, it's one of the, the most craziest 
wildest speeches I think like I've ever heard. Just how self-indulgent it is. It's such a crazy speech. It's pretty far out. Yeah. Joe, are you a fan of that speech? I don't remember it to be honest. The only thing I remember from that those years speeches is Kate Blanchett trying to or getting cut off at SAG and she's like, Come on, Matthew McConaughey talked about planets and shit. I can have five seconds. So if anyone wins on speeches that year, it's her for that. That's true. That's true. Cause he did yeah, man. He talked about some he was on some good drugs that night. He was on some good stuff. <laughs> Well, uh, next we have Christian Bale, nominated for American Hustle. This is his second of two nominations. Going into this, his only win comes in the form of an ensemble um, award with SAG. He's also recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice in the General Best Actor column and in the Critics' Choice Comedy Actor column. In American Hustle, Christian Bale plays Irving Rosenfeld, a con man working with the FBI to out some corrupt politicians. So, Joey, tell us everything that you feel about math, or, uh, about Christian Bale in American Hustle. What is he doing here? Why? Why? All right, this is the last time we have to talk about this movie. Just, again, nobody should be here from this movie in any category unless you were Jeremy Renner. Um, I don't, I, this is again, chameleon Christian Bale, who's great at disappearing into his roles, but I mean, not even Christian Bale's mother knew he was winning this one. Like not even she thought it was happening. So like, why is this also part of the tag along of this ensemble, by the way, again, like noted with Amy Adams, this is an ensemble film. Is there a lead? I mean, it's just like. This could have been Tom Hanks' spot. There was no need for this. I'm going to send it over to Ryan. <laughs> Just weird of this movie. I fucking what, hate it so much. What a transition because I love this performance by Christian Bale. I love it so much. It's it's such a good it's such a it's such a hammy performance. It's uh, it's I just love when he when he looks like he's having fun. Like he looked like he was having fun making this performance, like, and putting it together too. Like the weight gain, the hair, which I mean, like that's the first shot of the film, right, where he's putting together his hair, and like one of my favorite scenes is is like their interaction, him and Cooper's interaction, and he messes up the hair, and they all just kind of stop and look at each other, like you did not just fucking do that, and it's. It's so good. I love his chemistry with Amy Adams in the film. I re- the he is, you know, he's he's so torn between Lawrence and Adams, and sort of this whole deal is is driving him to have sort of like heart palpitations because of the fact that like he doesn't want to screw over Renner, and and just you know how he's trying to appease everyone but also save his own neck and. Uh, Irvin is, is is an interesting character for Bale to play because it is those hybrids of this guy, for the most part in his career, has played either very serious guys or he's or he's played guys that, you know, he can just sort of aloof into these into these transformative figures. And really, before we saw the, the him play try to play Dick Cheney. You know, this was the first sort of like big transformation for him in terms of weight gain. And I just ultimately think it works because he's playing a sleazy con man and he just plays it so accurately 
um, that I, I, I really like the performance. Um, it's him and Adams are the, are the best thing about the film, uh, along with Renner. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it might even be, it might be even more of a favorite performance for me than the fighter, just because I remember more of it than the fighter. But, um, he, he, when he works with a Russell, I think he gets some really interesting work to chew on. And so, yeah, I, I like this. Sorry, Joey. Sorry. I have a similar feelings about, um, bail than I do Lawrence, which mm. is, um, I'm not exactly sure how to describe how I feel. Uh, <laughs> but I'm always for some reason entertained by whatever it is that Bale is doing. Yeah. Um, like Lawrence, it's kind of a swinging for the fences and he just kind of goes for it. And um, even if I think it's ridiculous or stupid, I'm at least fascinated by what he's doing. And perhaps the point is to be ridiculous and stupid because that's sort of just the the somewhat messy vibe of this whole movie. And I guess in a sense, it kind of works, um, even though it's not exactly um, my cup of tea here. But um, I think Bale, um, I see what you're saying, Ryan, with the whole transformative mm -hmm. thing and um, the weight gain and the hair and all yeah. that. Um, I understand the um, admiration for all that. But for some reason, that's a that's a narrative or a talking point where I just find myself kind of slightly rolling my eyes a little bit. It's just not what I go for when it comes to um, performances, the type of thing that I gravitate toward. But I can definitely see um, the respect um, that um, that dedication warrants. Uh, but uh, just going off of what I see on screen here, um, I think Bale's having a really good time with his cast. Um, I think, I don't remember if I said it in the actress episode, but I feel like the actors, the ensemble in this movie is the actual auteur of the film and not so much Joe Russell. I feel like the actors run away with this movie in a way. And, um, I think Bale takes a lot of ownership of, um, the finished product, um, because his Irving Rosenfeld is so, I guess you could say captivating with how, how bananas it all is. Yeah, no, it's 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 a good performance, and uh, I think we should probably move on before Joey has to talk about it more. Sorry, Joey. We'll we'll move on. I I, I, I feel like it's fair. No more. <laughs> he I'm is done. so done with American Hustle. Like I, I, he never has it. to talk about this movie ever yeah. again. I'm gonna Until talk. I'm, I will. I'll text you daily about it. I'll be like, hey, remember that scene in American Hustle? And then he'll I block it. Exactly who great. I'm gonna send you photos of if you text me that shit. Don't do it. Don't you do, do it. it. I'm gonna do it. Mm. Okay, well, I hope it's not Bruce Dern, because <laughs> Bruce Dern in Nebraska is our next nominee. This is his second of two nominations, his first time being nominated since Coming Home, uh, 78. Going into this, he uh, gets a few notable recognitions. He wins Best Actor at Cannes Film Festival. He also uh, wins with the Los Angeles Film Critics, the National Board of Review, and he takes the coveted AARP Movies for Grownups Award. He is also recognized uh, with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the Spirit Awards. In Nebraska, Bruce Dern plays Woody, a Montana man determined to uh, 
claim his fake $1 million. So he journeys to Lincoln, Nebraska with his adult son and hijinks ensue. So Ryan, how do you feel about Bruce Dern in Nebraska? First of all, it is so wonderful to have a great host like you, Brandon, just keep introducing these wonderful titles and best actor. Supporting actor was a little lax. So just, just pointing it out there. Um, but I will say, no, I'm just messing with you, Joey. Um, uh, I will say that I'm not a fan of Nebraska. And uh, I'm, and I, it, it goes to this theory that uh, I was talking about with, uh, uh, with our colleagues over at, uh, in session film, J.D. Duran, Brendan Cassidy, and, and Jay Ledbetter um, in our text chain. And we just talked about it one day where we were like, either get Alexander Payne or you don't. And some movies you're like, you either get it or you don't like it, right? Like, I think half of his filmographies I, uh, of his films that I like could be somebody's distaste, right? Like, uh, I like The Descendants. I know people that don't like it. Uh, I like Election. I know people don't like it. I know. I think Sideways might be the only – there's probably somebody out there that doesn't like Sideways, right? Um, and so for me, I just never caught on to the Nebraska train and never – when I watched it, I was just like, this feels like a movie my grandparents or my dad would like. Or my mom. For me, I'm sitting here just... I was bored out of my mind. I did really like June Squibb just because she brought, like, a bolt of energy. But, like, Will Forte's miscast. Bruce Dern is just kind of graggly old Mr. Bruce Dern. And ultimately, I just... It's, it, I just I'm just going to say it now. Spoiler alert. This is my least favorite of all these nominated performances. Um, an, an actor, and I just, if we could have got, got him out of this lineup for the, for an Oscar Isaac or a Joaquin Phoenix or a, or an Ethan Hawke for, you know, um, Before Midnight or whatever, there's or even Tom Hanks, um, you know, I would have much preferred that than, than Old Man Dern here. So, no, don't like it. So... Bruce Stern, I believe, is one of the few actors I, – I can't remember. I think it might be Helen Hayes is the other one – who has, like, almost 40 years in between their last nomination to this one. So, like, I love me a good comeback story like that. I think that's really cool on a narrative. But I think that's all Bruce Stern had to work with here was narrative. Um, normally, because – Fuck knows, people love to use an it's about time story. Um, weirdly, wasn't used here. Um, there's too much non-merit happening in this lineup and more campaign strategy in this lineup um, that we see more often than none from the Academy. Because had it been merit mixed with the campaign... For critics-wise, because critics went nuts over this, I could have seen Dern walking away with this entire category and everything he was nominated in. For the Academy, though, it just, I think, was like a well-done, sir, pat on the back type of nomination. Um, I think June Squibb is the best thing in Nebraska. 
she's the only reason why I would want to rewatch it. Dern is just kind of giving me cranky old grandpa. And I think mm-hmm. really could have been done by anybody. Um, you know, glad he's got two nominations and it'll be a while before we get back to coming home, but it's, um, it's there. <laughs> so I concur that June Squibb is the MVP of Nebraska, but I like Nebraska, I guess a little bit more than, uh, you fellas. And I also like Dern, uh, quite a bit here. Um, I'm not from quite the Nebraska, Montana area, but you know, Western Ohio, pretty rural. And uh, like I said, on the actress episode, I see a lot of familiar people in this movie. And um, that includes Woody. Um, There's a very stubborn, matter-of-fact nature to this character um, that goes into a cantankerous place at times. Um, But I really enjoy it. It feels very authentic to me. Um, Some of Dern's uh, deliveries are just so fact-based that I find it funny. Like when um, his son says like something like, all your brothers are coming over today, and Dern just goes, some of them are dead. And the son's like, well, the dead ones won't be there. Like, it's just a really funny <laughs> delivery that, I don't know, it's, it takes me, it catches me off guard, and yet it seems so familiar uh, based on, you know, the people I grew up around. Um, and, you know, they have that conversation, I think it's in the diner, um, Dern and... Um, Forte, where they're talking about um, June Squibb and um, them getting married. And the son uh, asked why they got married, and uh, Woody says, well, because she wanted to. And then he says that uh, he he's sorry about it all the time. Like, he regrets getting married to her, but what else was he going to do? This is life. Like, that just seemed so at home for me. And I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if it's just a weird nostalgia thing, but I think Bruce Dern does something that's really sincere and um, authentic in Nebraska that just reads as really true to me. And um, he has a great deadpan delivery on um, a lot of these lines that Alexander Payne uh, gives to him. I'm a fan of Alexander Payne. Uh, The majority of his filmography I really enjoy. Um, He seems to have the market cornered on sad old men, and uh, I think he's quite good at it. So, um, yeah, I'd say for the most part, I'm a fan of Dern in Nebraska. Um, I will say between Nebraska, and this is not meant to be like a haha joke, I'm just, you know, just saying it. I, just between Nebraska and like Children of the Corn, it's not really painting a ideal place that I would want to spend time. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, okay, this is what goes on here. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> so it's always interesting to me that it seems to be like a center for a lot of movies because not not too bueno, people. Not too bueno. Yeah, it's not your favorite vegetables, what you're saying, Joey. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, but speaking of Bruce Dern and narratives, we have a question from James for real 196. Was there any overdue narrative for Bruce Dern at all? Like his performance was really good. Um, Brandon, take that one first because he, you liked him a little bit more than us. Well, I mean that's pretty much always going to be a factor of some sort when you have an older, seasoned actor who's never won before. It seems like if, when they get nominated, it's like a an automatic narrative 
uh, how long they've been in the industry and how many times they could have been nominated or could have won that I don't think a lot of actors consciously uh, play into or opt into. I'm not sure how active Dern was with whatever campaign there was, but um, if if there was some sort of overdue conversation, and I'm sure there was on some level, I'm I'm not sure how much Dern really was, you know, driving that. Ryan, yeah, I mean, you know, the problem with this was is that this was a Paramount film, right? And Paramount, if I if I'm not mistaken, also had the Wolf of Wall Street, and so. It goes down to this thing that like people think I'm nuts when I say this, but it's true, is that studios pick their favorites when they do their Oscar run. And then once they get the nominations, they fully try to push their one eggs in a basket, right? And I think once they got Nebraska and they, they they were like, Okay, we got Nebraska, and then Wolf came on and it was such a big hit, it was such a success. That's why like Jonah gets in late, right? And that's why that film gets the nominations it does and Scorsese pops into director and things of that nature is because Wolf carries a lot of that momentum that for the studio and trying to push that over the top that could have gone maybe to Nebraska. And then you, you have a studio with two slots in there trying to fight. Um, you know, it, 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 then you sort of like, okay, who are we going to pick? And then you end up not picking anyone. And then by then the narrative is already created for McConaughey. So, I think early in the season, it was very much a, a like because it can and the idea of like, oh, it could be Bruce Stern. We could give it to Bruce Stern. But then like people actually saw the film and this is not a, you know, a slap to, to you, Brandon, but just people. I didn't feel people were connecting it. They were still trying to say like, yeah, it's good, but, you know, it's, it's not great. You know what I mean? It's not it's not it wasn't the it wasn't like the reception I think people heard at a can. Cause that year I can, I just remember, I remember people really digging both Nebraska and inside Lewin Davis. And then when it came to the Oscar season, Nebraska got the love and obviously inside Lewin Davis got snubbed across the board in above the line categories and stuff. Um, but I just remember the sort of buzz when it got out of the, Oh, like this is the can winner. Let's see what it looks like. Did Bruce Dern want for can? Let's see what it looks like. And then people were just like, oh, it's a good performance. And he just plays, a, you, know, you know, he just plays an old dude. And, it's, and so I guess people didn't find the nuance there. And then, of course, with Leo. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a really tough one to kind of look back on and, and see if, like, he actually had a shot at it. Because I think just the nomination, him getting in alone is is a is uh, is is good enough in that in that regard and my answer was in my pitch on Dern so I'll just leave it at that <laughs> well our next actor is Leonardo DiCaprio nominated for the Wolf of Wall Street this is his fourth of six acting nominations now he doesn't really get much industry love going into this either kind of like Jonah Hill because he only gets um Recognition uh, with the Globes in comedy, which he wins, and the Critics' Choice Award in the comedy slot, which he also wins. Uh, he does not get nominated at the Critics' Choice in the general actor field, but he is nominated with BAFTA. So those are his only really uh, big nominations going into this. 
In Wolf of Wall Street, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Jordan Belfort, a man who goes from lowly stockbroker to one of the wealthiest players on Wall Street in a matter of a few years. And um, Joey, how do you feel about Leo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street? Well, just like Jonah Hill, I feel like this is delicious. Um, I think it get that there are moments in this film that are dragged down in the weirdest of ways, and I think they that those moments do come from DiCaprio, and specifically, it's those long like speech moments where he's talking to his company. Um, they don't feel like they, and I, I'm interested to hear if you guys agree with us. They don't feel time-wise. Like, the movie is cut beautifully. I believe Thelma Shoemaker cut this one as well. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, and that she is a master of her craft. Hello. Um, but what feels long, I think, is his performance in these scenes. Because it's like, okay, give us another level of just exciting, crazy shouting. I think it, it, it happens a little too often. So I think that that would be my only critique of that. Outside of this, I think this movie is amazing. It's fun. It really, truly, honestly makes me want to find someone who has Quaaludes and try them. Um, <laughs> like, every time I watch this, like, I was at a party in L.A. when I was 19 and there were Quaaludes, and I should have tried them. I really should have because I want to so badly. Um, you know, it sells me on that. I mean, it sells me on so much of just, like, slimy, gross, money-hungry. I mean, my uh, let me correct. My second biggest critique is that I don't buy that he's supposed to be, like, a 22-year-old in the beginning because it just seems like Leo is just heavily caked in makeup. And I could tell, and maybe I could tell because I am a performer and I know, you know what I mean? Like, I mm -hmm. love stuff. Um, I, w I also want to note justice for Jean Dujardin for that is <laughs> comedic supporting performance that also should have been nominated. Mm -hmm. um, his sexy little French ass. Um, I love him. I, I just, I love this movie. It's my favorite Scorsese movie. And this was definitely, like I said, a movie that I 180 from completely from the first time that I'd seen it and was telling everyone to mm -hmm. avoid the plagues where I'm like, give it to me now. Um, Leo's great. Hill's great. Margot's great. Jean Desjardins' ass is great. Give me more. Um, Ryan, what about you? Oh, I mean, this is the defining performance of Leonardo DiCaprio's career. I mean, it is it's one that I, I I remember seeing this three. It was it's one of the only times San Antonio got something ahead of the rest of the world. It felt like because so this movie released, like Joey said, on Christmas. I saw this three weeks, four weeks before it came out because they did an advanced screening down here for some reason for that film of all films and. Uh, uh, and I, and so I was I was able to do a um, like one of those free GoFabo things that you uh, go and sign up and then you stand in line for. And a buddy of mine went with me and they were like, if you have your phones out, we'll throw you out. We don't care. Um, you know, and blah, blah, blah. it was it was probably the strictest critic screening I've ever been to in my life. Um and actually, that's probably not true. Last year, Ford v Ferrari was a was a bitch. Um, but anyway, um, 
I remember watching the film and within the first shot of him doing coke off the hooker and I was just like, holy shit. Like I had no idea. I I really hadn't seen most of the trailer um, and the trailers were very tame. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't show you half, if not even, you know, 1% of what happens in this movie. Right. And so I remember just watching it and it just consumed me and I, and I totally got its messaging, which is, you know, an American excess and the, the powers that be and how we sort of fetishize or romanticize, uh, people that are in these professions. Right. And how the almighty dollar is, is the most dominant thing. And, uh, it doesn't matter who you, who you fuck, who, uh, who you fuck over. It doesn't matter about any of that as long as you're making money and doing it. Um, and it's also like a, a really harsh, like sort of look at, uh, our economy at the time, you know, when this movie is coming out, we're still sort of, um, we're still sort of trying to get back to where we, where we used to be, um, because of the recession and everything a couple of years before. And so it is a damning sort of alarming thing of like how these stockbrokers and how these people, you know, they, they get ahead and, and they fuck us all over. And Leo, and it's and it's not meant for Leo to be a hero. Like th- that's what people forget or or you know think is like, oh, because it's Leo, one of the most likable on-screen actors of all time, and they buy into it. But it's actually he's playing as like a sinister bad guy, and you know he's he's playing a wolf literally in sheep's clothing. And so I think it's a wonderful performance. He's ex- he's hysterical. I wish he would do more comedy between this. And I know Joey wasn't a big fan of it, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last year, the dude's got insane comedy chops. Like, he is a great physical comedian. And I wish he would do more of that. I wish directors would tap into that more. Um, He's great opposite Margot Robbie. Um, He's even great opposite Spike Jones in the one scene that he has with Spike Jones, too, the director. Um his chemistry with Jonah Hill is off, off the charts. Rob Reiner, everybody he's involved with is great. I think of the scene, though, that that sort of drives the film home for me and how great it is, is, is the scene with Kyle Chandler on the boat and how he he really that that is the crux of this movie as a whole, where he's very inviting and he's very nice and everything. And when an alternative motive starts hitting in there, his walls go up. He is a horrible person he is disgusting even though you're supposed to root for him to go down you don't really because you want to see what more shit he got involved into it's an insane over the top wonderful magnetic performance that's still the best of his career yeah i'm a big fan of dicaprio and the wolf of wall street um i also really like that scene with chandler which uh, when you compare that scene with his earlier scene with McConaughey at the restaurant and the two very different places um, that Jordan is in in those two moments, um, the evolution of this character is pretty amazing. Um, This movie is quite long and yet it never really drags for me. I feel completely invested in this film. Um, pretty much every step of the way, because uh, Leo has so much energy and charisma in this. And even though Jordan Belfort is supposed to be, you know, a pretty awful human being uh, meant to represent the the worst figures in uh, 
in the super wealthiest corners of American finance. Uh, Leo carries me along for the ride. Uh, I never really like the person, but I can't help but love Leo's performance. He is so funny and so despicable in the best ways possible. And his comedy chops are on point here. Um, when he and Hill take the expired lewds, and he's like eighty oh. percent paralyzed and falls <laughs> down the stairs and tries to get to the car. That is just comedy gold. Mm -hmm. That might be one of the best sequences in Leo's filmography for me. Like Ryan mentioned, uh, Tom Hanks and Captain Phillips. That might be the best scene in all of his career. Uh, the the paralytic Quaalude scene might be my favorite mm. DiCaprio moment in his entire resume. Uh, he's fantastic. Um, this character has such a solid arc, um, built in in a way that doesn't feel contrived um, in the way that others could have. It doesn't feel as paint by numbers as it could have been, because this is, you know, a biopic, but it doesn't really have biopic energy. Uh, Scorsese breathes a lot of life into this film, and it's so chaotic, uh, yet completely controlled at the same time. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of it, and uh, DiCaprio is just, he, he carries it every beat. Um, I don't think he falters, and if he had, the movie uh, would have stumbled as a whole, but he manages to uh, keep it up the entire time. It is so insane that this movie is made by Martin Scorsese, one of the oldest directors working right now. This feels like a movie that is made by a younger man. You know what I mean? This movie feels like this is this is this sounds like the makings. I don't know. It it it, it feels like somebody would would come in here and be like, yeah, I kind of want to make this movie, and it's and it's almost like this, and it's like that's and it's all, all these drugs and all this sex and you know the rock and roll, all these different things, and then you just sort of peel it back and you realize, yeah, this is a Scorsese film through and through. It's very much, he's using sort of the setup of, and the narration and everything that of like Goodfellas and, and Casino and everything, but he brings it in such a, a different sort of way in that this is another gangster film in the sense that this, this character, Jordan Belfort is a modern day gangster. We don't have gangsters in the mob anymore, but what we do have power-hungry people that steal everybody's money on Wall Street. And, you know, there are moments where you where you think that, you know, you, he could have made Jordan sympathetic, he could have uh, not, but I don't think he does. I think he, by the end of the film, DiCaprio and that, that, that pen sequence, right? Like, the pen sequence at the diner that then bookends the end of the film. Like, this is him at the height of his power in, in, in or right before he's about to start making the the big jump, right, with the pin sequence at the diner. And he's just trying to get people to connect to the ideas that he has. And by the end of the film, he's kind of been one of these, like, sort of tour guides or whatever. And he uses that pin thing again. And he, I think he's using it so he can not try to tap back into it, but he's trying to at least get some sort of, I don't want to say, like, recognition, but he wants to get, he wants to have that feeling again that he had when he was young. And that's ultimately sad. It's just like this man that has screwed everybody over. He still is trying to chase after this thing, which is in turn a way to screw over people. And it's a vicious cycle. It's a really like damning thing because the final shot of the film, 
is the camera zooming back to a room full of crowded idiots. It started off with like five idiots around, you know, a diner table. And it's now a giant room at a ballroom and like a Radisson trying to listen to him, you know, on how to make as much money as possible and not get caught. It's and it's exactly how Americans are. And and, and the reason why it's also the quietest moment of the film, it's because it makes your audience think you watch this entire film and you want to be like this person, don't you? You want all this money, don't you? And you do realize that it screws over tons of people. And so, yeah, it's it's a great film. And then it's just just like you said, you know, Brandon, it, it does not work if he is not nonstop going the entire time, just balls to the wall for the three hour runtime that it is. And if he doesn't do that, if he falters at any point, then this movie falls apart and it's not good. And he is so good in this performance. I think what you're um, uh, talking about there with the pen sequence and the uh, the conference at the Radisson is uh, this movie is um, a bit of a dissection of the American dream or what we all think of as this American dream and this twisted reverence that so many Americans have for the super wealthy, how so many Americans look up to the super wealthy and think, they did everything right to get where they are. And if I do everything right, I will have what they have. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that so many of the people that went from the bottom and made it to the top did it in the slimiest, most criminal ways possible. And um, they're some of the most repugnant human beings on the planet. And I think that's what this movie is trying to look at. Like that's what's under the microscope here. And that conference at the end where he goes back to the sell me this pen is, I think, Belfort chasing that dream or trying to chase the high that the American dream gave him while in this room of a few hundred people who all think it's possible that they can one day get there, too. It's this unachievable carrot that everyone's chasing after, this high of this drug that no one can afford. It's the last drug in town that he can get that'll actually satisfy his black hole you know what I mean? yeah. of a heart and that's that's terrifying because the truth I mean, is yeah yeah because no one in that room will ever have what he had exactly and 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 if they do they're most likely going to go down the same path as him yeah behind bars you know what i mean so joey yeah a few things number one um i wish more movies showed straight men enjoying things in their ass so kudos to marty scorsese for that because kudos to leo for doing that too like and you have a magical clit in your butthole enjoy (laughs) it um number two safe word my ass like she just like throws it out window too she, oh, he's yeah. like i guess all right let's do it you know i'm just like oh that's great oh, that's uh, so good number two i always forget about the scene what really i think what's happening is awful but the, the selling point you know i think it was brandon who said are we supposed to care about this character but i think the moment that maybe it completely flips is kind of near the end so we've seen everything that happens and like I said, I always forget it's there, but it's that scene where he punches Margot Robbie in the gut and oh, takes her daughter. 
I'm like every time I see that, I'm like, oh my god, I forgot about this whole section of this movie. Like yeah. this this eight minute scene here. I'm like, holy shit, like fuck fuck this dude. Yeah. Um three, I don't care if this sounds bad or not, but like I said, this movie wants me to wants makes me want to try quit ludes and also <laughs> make me wish that I was around in the eighties to experience what if that office life was real, just to see if it was that fucking chaotic. Mm-hmm. Because oh yeah. And like the, how everyone's stacked up on top of each other, having sex in the copy rooms and stuff right? like that. Like, right. like the idea of, I think also too the the sort of sin- uh, sinisterism of this movie is the end of the week sort of challenge that they have, right? And they shave the girl's head, and yeah, yeah. You, and she's like sitting there and she's kind of half heartedly like smiling, but you know deep down inside she's like, this is really fucked up. And they hand her the money, and she's just like looking at the money, and sort of oh, just the, the money. The money is supposed to be for a boob job. It's not yeah. even supposed for. It's supposed to be still for everybody else. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like she gave her hair, and now she's giving her body. She's giving everything for this misogynist organization. And while and while it's subtly done, what's going on is a fucking marching band and strippers walking into the room. While this girl is is also just being emasculated at the same time, it's it's like it's showing you the celebration, but it is also not shying away from showing the darkness of literally the the person in charge, which is which is Jordan Belfort. You know what I mean? So no, but yeah, I I would I was that was the other thing too, Joey. I agree with you. I'm like I'm sitting there and watching this movie again, and I'm like, is this really what this was like? Like. Like, did they actually do this? Because, like, if that's true and they actually, like, did this, like, wow, I just – like, How did they not have, like, a documentary or something about that? Like, you figure these idiots would have videotaped this shit themselves and done that. You know what I mean? It feels They feel like the kind of guys that would, like, later on in life be like, wouldn't this be fucking cool if we, like, had a video of it or whatever? You know what I mean? So it, – Yeah, it also makes me very – like it makes me laugh out loud that like we come from this generation essentially most yeah, of us yeah. like these were our parents and like and they today, horny as fuck and they're horny as right. fuck and like you seriously know, like, today is like the quote-unquote woke police which are just stupid as fuck and i'm not a huge fan of pc culture in some aspects so it makes me laugh that um we are the way we are because we're taught yet the people who taught us did this shit yeah so it's like, like don't don't do I, drugs and and stay good right. in school and it's like right. nah fuck all that we're just gonna like we're gonna do coke and drink martinis in the afternoon with McConaughey you know what I mean it's like the fuck you know what I mean? like, the table right like yeah <laughs> so good so good but that's me on Mc or that's me on a uh, Wolf Wall Street yeah me too our final leading man is Chiwetel Ejiofor. Uh, nominated for 12 Years a Slave. This is so far his first and only nomination. Going into this, he gets a pretty sizable win with BAFTA, and he's also recognized with the Globes, SAG, Critics' Choice, Gotham, the Spirit Awards, the Los Angeles Film Critics, the New York Film Critics, and the National Society of Film Critics. In 12 Years a Slave, he plays Solomon Northrup, a free black man who is tricked, kidnapped, and then sold into slavery for 12 years. So, Ryan, how do you feel about Chiwetel Ejiofor in 12 Years a Slave? Oh, man. It's 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 like a, a performance you, you really can't 
even put into words because it's so emotional. Um, it gets me a little bit every time I start thinking about it. It's so brutal. The 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 first image I think of with this film is the hanging scene. That is the that is the the first thing of like his feet trying to reach that box below, right guys? And then the slaves around them sort of going throughout their day and like one like possibly like risking getting lashes herself and like giving him water and like cheering them on like you can be all right you like fight through it you'll be okay and it's all done on just like this single just like the camera just stays there it's such a wonderful job by mcqueen but it's such a committed performance it's so heartbreaking it's the most realistic depiction i think i've ever seen of slavery you your heart melts for solomon and what this man went through what the 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 people around him have to experience edge of four is phenomenal in this movie it is this is this is the one where i uh, again though i know the mcconaughey thing i was so shocked that this didn't land him the oscar just because of how wonderful he is, and maybe, and but I, I over time, I've equated Chiwetel Ejiofor's wonderful performance in this to the wonderful performance Liam Neeson gives in Schindler's List. Both films are very hard watches and a, a giant representation of the subject matter that they are trying to talk about, and and supporting performances get really the sort of the heightened. Oscar buzz around it, like Ray Fiennes for that film, or Fassbender, and especially Nyong'o, deservedly so in, in in Twelve Years a Slave. But at the core of this film, and at the core of Schindler's List, are the two lead performances that hold this thing together and are the reason you're you're so emotional, and especially more in this film because it really is Solomon's tale. And by the end of the film. When he does go home and he is there with his family, if you don't cry at that or even start thinking about crying, you, I mean, it's, I don't know where you have emotions in your dark universal. I mean, like that is, it's, it is a very, it's also at times a subtle performance. It's also a loud performance. There's a lot of going on with it. Ultimately, I just say it's a beautiful performance, and it's one that definitely deserved to be nominated and be amongst these other men. Yeah, I think 12 Years a Slave is an extraordinary movie for many reasons, and I think the performances are a big part of that. I also think it's extraordinary in the way of getting you to think and fully grasp and realize if you hadn't before what slavery was and is to a lot of people um and at the center of it all is chuitel as solomon northup um it is a performance that i'm watching and i'm reacting to but i am reacting i think mostly to what's happening to him 
and not too Chiwetel. Um, I think Chiwetel is a good vessel for Solomon to tell Solomon's story, but I'm never fully connected to him as I am what's going on around him, meaning the supporting players and then the actions that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree with Ryan. I think the, the, the scene in the tree is impeccably just awful and really gets your attention. But for me, it's the action of it happening and it's Paul Dano and then it's Benedict Cumberbatch. It's not Chiwetel. Um, I think the the scene where he's got a whip Patsy is oh, and it really pulls to me. I mean, here is a man who doesn't want to, but he knows that he has to because it's the only thing that's keeping Patsy from death, and it's still the thing that can cause her death. And while I'm reacting to him because he's there, I'm reacting to Sarah Paulson and I'm reacting to Lupita Nyong'o and I'm reacting to Michael Fassbender and literally everything else but Chiwetel. Mm-hmm. So while I think this is good, I don't know if Chiwetel was the strongest performer to do this because for me, he let himself sink behind everything in this movie. Now, that ending scene makes me cry every time and it's the only time though in this movie that i feel that chuitel commands all on his own which is sad because this movie is north of uh, solomon northup story therefore chuitel i believe is in pretty much almost every scene except for maybe two um and if i'm not as a viewer connected to him until this very last scene I've said it before, I don't give an Oscar for a single-scene performance, and unfortunately, this is what he's got for me, is a single scene. But it is amazing through and through, but I don't think he commands the screen until that very final scene where he apologizes. Like, it's his fault that, he wasn't, that he's been gone for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, because you want to pull him through that screen, and you want to hug him and comfort him and his family and let them know that, number one, you're sorry, and number two, it's not his fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I appreciate this role, I don't know if Chewy Tell was the right person for it. Um, Brandon, what about you? Um, so I'm a pretty big fan of it. Um, this movie is assembled in a very aggressive fashion. The way it's shot and the way it's cut together almost feels ab- abusive in a way, um, <laughs> consciously, by mm-hmm. Steve McQueen. Um, because he is tackling something very ugly, something very horrible that so many people try to forget, uh, try to erase all of the the nastiness of this time period and all of the horrible things that human beings did to other human beings. Um, Solomon Northrup endures a lot in this movie. Um so I see what you're saying, Joey, about all these things happening around him and coming at him from all these different directions. And um, he's sort of a barometer for this pain and trauma. But I think um, Ejiofor reacts so heart 
breakingly real in all of these moments, each struggle that he is faced with, he endures in a unique way. There's a specificity to how he is persevering and pushing through and resisting um, the things that he's going through. Um, Solomon evolves as a character over this 12-year span in that way. Um, the things he chooses to rebel against and how. and Because um, he is a free man with an education who has been duped by these horrible people and put into this situation where he has literally no power. And his intelligence is not a helpful tool here. In fact, in some ways, it makes him a target. And so he has to find a way to survive and help those around him in a way that he's in a, in a way he's never had to before. Um, like he has to tap into some primal place and he goes through so much here that it's hard to not zero in on what Ejiofor is doing as a performer and the very serious toll that this film is taking is putting on him as a performer. Like it almost feels like we are watching someone experiencing a severe trauma that they will need for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Like that they will, or severe trauma they'll need therapy for for the rest of their life. And he's just acting in a movie. Like he is so in it that I am actually concerned for him. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the response that it gets from me. Um, as he is going through all of these things and receiving all of this abuse from every direction in every form. Um, it's a difficult film to stomach, and understandably so. And uh, Ejiofor um, is hard to watch, but he's also hard to ignore. Um, it's hard to look away despite what you're seeing because he is so fucking good. Yeah. No. To I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. We do have a couple questions, um, but I can combine some of them and really put them as two here. We'll start with Ronaldo Salsa. Why is it that Joaquin Phoenix didn't get any real traction for what is, in my opinion, his best performance in her? Mm. Uh, Ryan, why don't you start us off with an answer for Ronaldo there? First off, Ronaldo, you misspelled the master, so maybe get your computer checked, maybe. Um, but um, no, uh, I think uh, I think that was always just going to be a Golub's play. Hurt came really late in the ball game. For that to get into picture was super surprising. Um, yeah, like it won screenplay, which was super great because I love her. I think it's a wonderful film. Um, I never, as much as I would personally put Joaquin Phoenix um, in my actor lineup, and I would also personally put um, uh, Scarlett Johansson, because yes, voice roles matter, as you know, people. Um, I would put her in the lineup as well. Um, I ju it doesn't seem like a performance they would have normally gone for, um, and it did break a little bit late in the race, so. Um, you know, he, he finally got an Oscar and I don't have a problem with the Oscar, 
you know performance that he won for um i'm all for joaquin getting a, a ton of nominations because i think he's a wonderful actor but yeah realistically I, I he would probably have been on the lower end of my 10 in terms of predicting things not in person my personal ballot of my favorite performances of the year which he is definitely one of them in the best actor category yeah, I think the uh, the taste factor is a huge thing um, <laughs> when it comes to the types of leading man roles that the Academy goes for. I don't think her is exactly in their wheelhouse. The screenplay win is amazing and makes sense to me. This feels like a very writer centric type of movie. A career it has Spike Oscar. Jones written yeah, all over it. Yeah, like um, a career Oscar too, right? right yeah, now. sort of. Uh, but when it comes to uh, Phoenix's uh, character and uh, the type of performance he's giving, it doesn't seem like the type of role or the type of, yeah, the type of role that usually gets leading man accolades with the Academy. I don't remember her. It's not a really memorable b- movie to me. Um, <sighs> Joey, it's, what are you doing? it's just about a guy who like fucks his computer, if I'm not mistaken. So like whatever um it's, it's called it's called art people and joey doesn't know what that is because it's a wonderful film go back and rewatch it sir you do yourself a favor dissing it i'm just saying i don't remember it other than being a, about a guy who fucks his computer well you remember that don't you so therefore you do remember something apparently rooney moore is in it i don't know well see uh, that's two things you remember there you go see you're remembering things he doesn't know her. <laughs> um, no, but I listen. I don't remember her well enough to remember this. Also, oh. that I would also agree is probably not my pick for Joaquin's best performance. So, you know, it is what it is at the end of the day. But yeah. um, I'm going to combine. So, yeah. I'm going to combine Lima Kalias, Bruns Tim, and our good friend Judge Roy Snyder, aka Kristoff. And I'm going to say it with Kristoff's question. Tom Hanks missed out on a lead nomination for Captain Phillips, which was supposed to be a safe bet, and a supporting nom for Saving Mr. Banks. Why did the Academy shun him for such a long time, and which of the two would have been a better nomination? Brandon, start with that one. Um, not sure why uh, he had such a big gap between nominations, um, but uh, Captain Phillips is my preferred one of the two. Ryan? Um, I would actually prefer, even though, like I said, Captain Phillips has probably the best scene of his career. Um, I would say he is fantastic in saving Mr. Banks, even though that movie isn't that great. Um, and I would have nominated him over maybe one or two of the other people in supporting actor category. I think it was a little bit of, we don't know where, which one to vote for him. Maybe there was some vote splitting, um, you know, obviously campaigns and all Disney's different than, uh, I forgot who ran captain Phillips. Um, but, um, personally to me, I, I, I I think maybe the best way to say it is that the Academy was going through some some daddy issues that year because Tom Hanks is America's dad, and so uh, you know they were just very very ram, you know rambunctious teenagers uh, here in uh, in uh, 2013, and then you know last year when they're 19 and more of an adult this this decade, then you know they 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 they, they got Tom Hanks back on the board. I have daddy issues. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. 
<laughs> that's my response to that question. There you, there you go. Um, Captain Phillips, better of the two. Saving Mr. Banks is not what I would nominate him for. I agree. Tom Hanks should have more nominations this decade. I mean, The Post, this. Um, Bridge, Bridge of Spies? No, that movie. Um, I would say I would say from last decade he should have got one for Catch Me If You Can because he's fantastic in that and he's better than Christopher for walking. So can't um, comment on that one. We're not there yet, sir. I'm just saying, you know, we're talking about all these other wonder. He had such a huge gap. It's yeah. in, it's insane. I mean, voice performances. We could talk about him as Woody in 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 toys in the Toy Story franchise. He's fantastic in that. You know, as someone who has a connection to Tom Hanks, I would love to see him return to actual Oscar gold one day. Like, I could see him getting a third. But right now, after this, like, like long gap that we've had, I just don't see it happening for some Oh, he's, he's going to get one sooner rather than later. I hope the whole the whole COVID thing is going to play into it. Like, he had COVID and sooner rather than later, if he gets a good performance... You know, if it's just a good performance, they'll be like, yeah, let's get let's get him back. And he was great last year uh, as Mr. Rogers. Um, it was the best part of that movie, a movie that I'm not a big fan of, but he was extraordinary in the film. Um, and I wish I wish the movie was about him rather than about Matthew Reese's character. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think Tom Hanks will win a third Oscar before it is all said and done. If they gave Meryl a third Oscar for the Iron Lady, they will give him another Oscar sooner rather than later. And Queens, before we get to the rankings, a word from, well, me and our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to share a bit of the spotlight with, I don't know, Meryl Streep, Jessica Lange, Angela Bassett, and maybe hopefully one day someone like Aquafina, or play a game where Daniel Kaluuya is on a team? Well, this year, Queens, you can, thanks to today's sponsor, The Star Draft. As the listeners already know, Hollywood Awards season is finally almost, almost here, and God knows it's a long one this year. And The Star Draft lets you be a part of it like never before. What is it, though? Well, I'll tell you. It's a little like fantasy football. I don't know what that is, but I do know that it meets the Golden Globes, and I definitely know what that is, and here's how it works. Head to thestardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians, musicians who are actors or actors who happen to sing. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. Do you think Olivia Coleman is going to sweep every awards show this winter? Draft her. I know she did the last time. She did really, really good. Hashtag the favorite. Before every nomination and award show, set a lineup. Every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, they earn your team points. Then sit back, relax, watch the awards ceremonies as you, I don't know, drink a beer, eat some nachos, fight with your grandma. I don't care, but rehearse your acceptance speech. The site's top scoring team at the end of Oscar night earns a cash prize. Hey, you may not walk away with an Oscar, but you will walk away with cash in your pocket. It's 100% free, and because we love the Star Draft and you all so much, well, most of you, we've created a public league that you can join right now. Seriously, join us. All you have to do is sign up and join our Academy Queens League at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. We look forward to beating you all award season long and probably beating you more than others. Love you guys. Well, okay, shall we wrap this bitch up? <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. As a recap, your nominees for Best Supporting Actor were Michael Fassbender in 12 Years a Slave, Bradley Cooper in American Hustle, Jonah Hill in The Wolf of Wall Street, Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club, and Barkhad Abdi in Captain Phillips. Bradley Cooper, number five. You and your rollers skedaddle, please. Um, Ryan, who is your number five? I agree. 
put it, put the rollers back in the closet, Bradley Cooper. I don't want to see him anymore. Um, he's in my number five. Jared Leto is my number five for Dallas Buyers Club. Um, ultimately, this character feels a little bit like a construct and a narrative device to me, and not a fully fledged character. Uh, so um, Jared Leto is my number five for Dallas Buyers Club. Well, let's see if Ryan and I continue to twin here. Um, Barkadabi is my number four. This just doesn't really make sense for me. Um, glad he's got it, but this isn't for me. We're not going to be twinning no more. Um, this is where Jared Leto goes for me at number four. Um, he's not as bad or as unmemorable as Bradley Cooper, but he is definitely, like I said, not my favorite performance of this year. I don't like the win. And so, yeah, he gets placed at number four for me. Bradley Cooper is my number four for American Hustle. Um, not the biggest fan of American Hustle. Uh, Cooper is not saving it for me very much. But um, I, I always smile a little bit when I see him in those stupid rollers. So he's number four <laughs> for American Hustle. All right. Middle of the road. Number three, Michael Fassbender. Um, he's great. And I think his best work really is with Steve McQueen. And I like Ryan mentioned earlier, I need more of that. I need this Fassbender back. I need... I feel like Alicia Vikander is his Yoko Ono. Oh, jeez. Don't kidding. start that. Don't start that. I'm not kidding. Because it's something just, I feel like, went out the window when they started dating and now they're together. And I'm just going to need her to kick rocks to get this fast member back just give peace a chance all right just give peace a chance i will just give michael fassbender number three <laughs> the last two are way too strong for me so um ryan what's barkhad abdi is number three that is where the captain lies um barkhad abdi is also my number three for captain phillips um i love this lightning in a bottle moment with him uh he's um so threatening and unpredictable in the movie uh, and i just love this uh little story uh he has but um he's only my number three in his lineup well top two i think are the two strongest in this category but with that said i gotta give the runner-up this year to jared leto which means i am giving my number one and the win to jonah hill um, let me just say, I love that Jared Leto won this category because I love this character and I love the way that he plays this character. And I think it was the, like I said, the first time where something like really clicked in me about what the T in my community of LGBT meant. Um, and I give props to that, but, oh, and I was really happy that Lair, Jared Leto won on, you know, he, he was my winner for that for Oscar night, but Looking back at it and then watching it back to back with the Wolf of Wall Street to get ready for this, I realized the one thing that that win doesn't hold up to well is what Jonah Hill is doing here. I just don't think it's as strong enough in memory to win. And therefore, Jonah Hill's got to be my number one. Jonah Hill is hilarious. Jonah Hill is fucking crazy. Jonah Hill is so much fun, is so devious. He's kind of like what I imagined Chunk from the Goonies doing after the fact of the plot of the Goonies. And honestly, I'm kind of here for it. Um, yeah, Jonah Hill, my winner. 
Ryan, who's your number two? And then follow it directly with your one. So my runner up is going to be Jonah Hill and my winner will be Michael Fassbender. I think that an injustice was made that year because of the fact that, like I said earlier, people wanted to peg him so hard as this villain, villain, villain. And if you voted for him, then you're al- you're almost pretty much like a racist. And, and then you're all because of the character, not because of Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender is not a racist. Everybody calm down. Um, but then also it's like, a, you know, everyone was voting for Lupita and in uh, sort of the 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 pain that she goes through and everything within Patsy's performance and and everything, Fassbender is extraordinary in this film. And and while I love Hill and and you guys know how much I was praising him and everything, and Hill is a is great. Like I said, it's not my favorite Jonah Hill performance um, of his career. It's 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 very close with Moneyball, but Fassbender to me, like I love him in Shame, but this is a whole nother level. He's never been better since maybe Joey, your terrible analogy earlier or your comparison earlier is, is correct. Um, but I think the problems were happening way before he even met Vikander. Um, I, I just, I think that, I think that he is the best choice to win this. And I, and I wish he would have won the Oscar because he was the best performance in this lineup for me. Michael Fassbender is my runner-up for 12 Years a Slave. Um, He is such a force of pain and evil in this movie. And um, he's just, you know, one more layer of abuse that goes into watching this movie. It's hard to tear your eyes away when he's doing something horrible, no matter how awful it is to look at. Um, but Jonah Hill is um, just doing something for me that um, perhaps it's an enjoyment factor, but I just, I love every moment he's on screen. Uh, He makes The Wolf of Wall Street even better than it already is. He takes his supporting part and he elevates uh, the film. Uh, You know, Leo's carrying it, like we said, Scorsese's uh, a master behind the camera and everyone else involved is incredible. But um, Hill, uh, I don't know why I seem to have forgotten everything that he did uh, since I last watched this movie because he's hilarious and um, everything that makes him a solid performer is on display here. So um, Jonah Hill is my winner for The Wolf of Wall Street. Solid. Awesome. Yeah. And as a reminder, your leading men were Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club, Christian Bale in American Hustle, Bruce Dern in Nebraska, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street, and Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave. Uh, My number five is going to be Christian Bale for American Hustle. It's just not one that works for me. It's just not my thing. And I I admit that. But um, Christian Bale is my number five for American Hustle. Ryan, how about you? I'm going to put Bruce Dern at my number five because that's where he belongs. And so he can go and have, you know, a nice soft meal for his dinner at 4.30 in the afternoon and then go take a nap and be up at about 5 o'clock in the morning for his first pee of the day. That's where he belongs, number five. Wow. All right. 
Well, Christian Bale is my number five. Number one, uh, like I said with Amy Adams, I got to stick with this, too. It's an ensemble piece. There's not a clear lead here. It's not his story. It's kind of like everybody. So category fraud. But also, too, it's just not good. So Christian Bale at five. Matthew McConaughey is my number four for Dallas Buyers Club. Um, I think this is a solid enough performance. Um, It doesn't really blow me away, though. And um, it's far from the best performance that McConaughey gave us in this era of his career. So um, Matthew McConaughey is my number four for Dallas Buyers Club. Ryan? Matthew McConaughey is all right. All right. All right. In this role. And so that's why he's at my number four. I hate you so much. (laughs) Uh, Bruce Dern, number four. This is just an old cranky man role that literally any actor could have done. Yeah, Joey, you could do this role in about 30, 40 years. I could do this role now. Let's just be honest. Yeah, let's just be honest. I was trying to be nice. I was just trying to be nice. I mean, seriously, just anyone could have done this. So Bruce Dern's got to go at four. Okay. Bruce Stern's my number three. Um, I like this role um, a bit more. Um, it feels very familiar to me just because of you know where I'm from and the type of people I grew up around. But it doesn't quite blow me away in the way that the other two do. So Bruce Stern is only my number three for Nebraska. Ryan? Christian Bale is my number three for American Hustle because of the rim rent. The Rembrandt was stolen and all this other stuff. That's how he that's how he sounds to me in the film. Um, and uh, this is a forgery. It's a forgery. So like that's what I think of when I think of uh, Christian Bale. I think of that scene from the trailer. So uh, just for that in that hair alone. I mean, good lord, the hair and like the close up on his stomach. Like man went all out, man. The man drank like milkshakes and he brought it all to the yard for this one. So I love it. It's a hammy performance. Double bake it, put it in the oven, serve it on Christmas with your racist uncle there with you. Oh, you're so corny. (laughs) (laughs) So corny, unlike your favorite vegetable that's served in Nebraska. Oh, my God. (laughs) I hate you. Okay, so number three. uh, Sorry, I got distracted by his corniness. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor is my number three. Like I said, for me, I'm not fully connected with him until that final scene and that scene gets me. But I wouldn't give him an Oscar for that um, because as a whole, he's there. But everything else around him is more, um, I'm going to say interesting, whether it's good, but interesting or bad, interesting. Everything else that's surrounding him is way more um, noticeable than what he's doing when the scene is supposed to focus on him, and that's unfortunate. Um, so yeah, Chewy Tell is middle of the road, number three for me. And with that, Joey's been canceled. So we can just all we can just all be excited about that. I'm sorry, Brandon, you have to do the show by yourself from here on out. It's a, the cancel culture, it's crazy out there, folks. Oh boy. Well, <laughs> um, this is kind of tough. Uh, these last two, I have two very different performances, uh, two performances that I admire um, quite a bit. Uh, but just going with the one that I just, I don't know. Just, I'm just picking one right now, I guess. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor is going to be my runner-up for 12 Years a Slave. Um, this is a powerful performance. Um, it's hard to take your eyes off. It's hard not to feel something. 
Um, it's just a difficult watch all around. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be my winner for The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, he carries this entire three-hour movie, and um, he makes it breeze by for me. Like, this movie does not feel like three hours when I'm watching it. Um, and I think Leo is a big factor in that. Um, he truly brings Jordan Belfort to life, and he carries the entire film. He's hilarious, and he really taps into something really wicked and slimy about the world that this film is exploring. And um, it's the performance that I'm more likely to go back to. Um, so Leo DiCaprio is my winner for The Wolf of Wall Street. Ryan, who's your runner-up and winner? My runner-up is Chewie Atel, um for his wonderful performance in 12 Years a Slave. And edgy affording him out as my winner, get it? See, edging him, edgy affording him out, is Leonardo DiCaprio for The Wolf of Wall Street, who gives the, the best performance of his career. He should have won this Oscar instead of for putting his face in a bear's ass or whatever he did in The Revenant. Um, you know, just this is this is because he put it, I guess, because he put his face in a in a stripper's ass for drugs. And I don't know. Anyway, that's beside the point. It's 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 one of those performances that just is all out. And without him, it 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 just the whole thing wouldn't work. And he's doing things here I've never seen him do before. Um, he's done it. You know, obviously he he did some more comedic work, like I said last year, but this was a, a Leo I, I've never seen in in and I always love it when actors show a different side of them and show something new and show something exciting to make them seem more exciting as they age in their careers. Um, it's a it's a funny performance. It's it's um it's it's somewhat uh, slimy and 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 yet sexy and weird and 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 you want to take all those drugs like Joey's saying. Um, um, so by the end of this episode, we'll, we'll, we'll all take all those drugs, right? That's what, that's what we're getting at. Um, but, uh, yeah, I love Leo, 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 Leo. So I'm just still picturing his face in a bear's ass. And as a gay man, I think that has a way more weirder definition than most. You're welcome. Thank you for that one. So I appreciate that. Uh, Um, you're welcome, sir. Thank you, thank you. Uh, with that said, Leo is my runner-up. I'm giving the win here to Matthew McConaughey. Um, Leo is fantastic here. There's no doubt about it that this is his career nomination right here. However, I do have those couple things that kind of really secured his second spot compared to a win here. Number one, I get that the movie doesn't spend a whole lot of time in the past and this may not be fair but oh well it's my choosing here i just don't buy him as 22 years old it just it looks so fake like it reminds me of that steve buscemi gif that's like hey kiddos what are you doing or whatever like like i think it's from mr deeds or something where he's like trying to be a high school kid with a skateboard that's what i'm getting from him here and then if you're gonna carry a movie i just feel like if i get bored with us with your your big scenes that's an issue McConaughey, though, really took a character who could have been unlikable for this story, for this movie, for this fictional tale, and made him so unlikable to the point where you don't feel anything but, like, you deserve it, fucker. And I, and, and, and he completely changes that. I mean, there, you, at, there is a point in this where I feel 
bad for him and I feel sorry. And I hope that he ended up doing the right thing. And in this film, he does. Um, and I don't get that remorse from DiCaprio. So in the end, I guess I'm kind of saying I think DiCaprio is one note in a way. He's just always extreme. Um, McConaughey, though. Can I ask you something? Excuse me, Vice President. I'm speaking. I'm speaking. Thank you. Uh, I didn't mean to robotically speak (laughs) over you. No. uh, So, yes, I I just feel like McConaughey really just taps into everything that we need to for this this movie. I mean, literally, when when the moment he finds out he has AIDS, he's I ain't no faggot and I ain't doing no faggot shit or know any faggots. That's his legit response. And at the end of it, he's. I know it sounds corny, but he's pretty much singing Kumbaya, holding their hands at the end. And that really could have been something that wasn't there for that character, and I think it needed it. So, you know, he's my winner. Um, So really quick, Ryan, before we get to that, as a recap, my winners are Matthew McConaughey and Jonah Hill. Mine are Leonardo DiCaprio and Michael Fassbender. And I have Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill. What were you going to say, Ryan? What I was going to say is, is, is it probably because you've seen Leo on screen at 22 years old is why you probably don't buy in the film that he's 22 years old? So could, for that the record, be, could that be maybe a little bit thing going on there? I, I didn't really think about that until you just asked that, but I don't, I mean, maybe? I was in kindergarten when Titanic came out and that was the first time I remember seeing Leo DiCaprio on screen. Maybe. So I don't. I mean, you're you were the same age. We would have been in the same grade. So hey, hey there's nothing. I mean, the it's a bad movie. But. I'm not I'm not commenting on that. I'm just saying, like, I can't remember but if I ever remember him being not. But I remember a, his I remember his face. I mean, it's kind of hard not to with the whole "I'm king of the world" kind of thing. Like, you know. I get it. Yeah. I mean, back in that movie, now he looks like he's 15. <laughs> yeah, he does. Like so Romeo he, and Juliet, you're like. Sure. Did they hire underage actors for this? You know, it's like crazy. So I'm not really sure if I remember where he would have been at at 22, but I'll tell you what, he doesn't look like a 22 year old when he's just caked in cake makeup. Sure. Because that's what he's looking there. Cake sounds. I mean, I hope that answers that question a little bit. Yeah, it does. It does. Okay. All right. (laughs) Does anyone have anything before we close out? Um, this has been fun. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. This has been great. I love talking to you guys. Ryan, where can the queens find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RyanMcQuade77. I am the associate editor over at In Session Film, um, where a ton of our writers have been doing a ton of reviews for various fall film festivals um, over the last couple weeks. And so, um, you know, we're gearing up towards the fall and the Oscar run. You can find uh, me over there on the podcast on Extra Film, uh, where we are doing movie series. We've done. Uh, James Bond, we've done uh, Robert Altman, we've done David Fincher. We are going to start a Pal and Pressburger series. Um, so we're very excited about that. Um, and then we'll keep doing that until, I mean, we might just be continuing to do that because we've got so much positive feedback. I also am the host over there of Chasing the Gold, the Oscar show, um, along with editing not just these two gentlemen's pieces in session film, but everybody else's wonderful pieces. Um, I also do writings over at awards watch awards radar and film speak. So I I'm pretty much everywhere. My tentacles are everywhere at this point. Um, and uh, I want to thank Brandon for being the nicest host in the world and Joey for, for being well, for being Joey. Cause we wouldn't want you to be anybody else, man. 
Mm-hmm. Bruce Dern and all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Brandon? Um, I think that about does it for me. All right. Well, on the count of three, we're going to give a big old goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Goodbye. Goodbye.